A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the True Detective Podcast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to the weirdness of the long night. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage for Season 4, Episode 4 of True Detective Night Country on HBO Max. We're going to start off with our hot takes and then get right into a full scene-by-scene breakdown of the episode, followed by listener feedback. John and I have a side bet. Can we do it in 90 minutes? No. <laughs> I, I have zero. You said that to me a week ago. And that was I lied last week. I know (laughs) this episode's a little different. So we do have press screeners, by the way. So we're recording these a little bit in advance, just a few days. Uh, But we will be recording and releasing these just after the episode airs Sunday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. We want to enjoy the mystery of the show along with everyone. So we're not watching any further ahead than the current episode. So don't worry. We're not being cute about any of our spoilery knowledge. It's so hard. I was just so ready for episode five. I know. I was four. I was thinking I was just doing a rewatch before this and I was thinking as soon as this episode. So as soon as this podcast is over, I'm <laughs> going right. to the next episode. Exactly. But the good news of this means that you can send in your feedback each week. You can send emails to truedetective at thelorehounds.com or head over to the contact page on our website. And there we've got a contact form and a voicemail. Also, we have a Discord, and we've got full channel set up there. We've got separate threads for each episode. Links for all that stuff is in the show notes. Check us out on Patreon. Subscribers get early and ad-free access to all of our podcasts, but they also get a special customized detective's notebook made by David himself. And boy, is it a delight. People are people are submitting things to it now. It's not it's becoming a community driven project, too. It's beautiful, which uh, I I absolutely love. I mean, Nancy M was sending me stuff. Josh was sending me stuff. Uh, uh, Bettina was pointing out that she sent me a photograph. I'm really excited that that's actually what's happening, that it's becoming community thing uh, that just makes me super happy. So thank you everyone yeah. for, for your support. And uh, I'm having a fun time doing it too. It's very cool. Yeah, it's super cool. And thank you, David, for doing it. I'm glad that we have that going on and join the Patreon if you want to deal with that, because that is good stuff. Maybe, you know, for other shows in the future where there's, you know, some degree of depth and you got to remember characters and all this kind of stuff, we can keep kind of keep going with this idea. So you yeah. you have me inspired. Maybe I'll do it for Rings of Power or something. Ooh, that would be dope. Mm. Yes. Talk about yes, elf I'm... trees and whatnot. Somebody just asked for my elf chart the other day. Maybe I'll, I'll convert that. 
And the Notion platform is so perfect for it because it's, it's low. Um, you basically don't need any programming. You just know how to use a word processor and you can do all this crazy stuff. You flick a switch and it's published live on the internet. It's wild. Well, David, we can chat more about Patreon and our show upcoming coverage in the outro. But for now, yes. we really got to talk about True Detective. So we're done with spoiler-free hot takes. We're doing the full spoiler the whole kitchen sink. Right. What'd you think, David? This on my first watch, I was thinking that boy, people are probably, I don't know how people are going to react to this episode. I could see fandom breaking in two directions on this. Some people going, uh, you know, where's all the mystery stuff. And then the other side going, loving the character moments, loving the sort of, uh, struggles that the our our main protagonists are having to deal with like these are really dark times just as the sun is starting to to come back up uh as i did the outline over the last couple of days the more that i get into the show the more i'm just really enamored with the construction the details especially the sound effects the i, I really need to do some more research on who did the sound design for the show cuz it is superb the um, mm. couple of scenes in this episode really moved me. The scene with Navarro and Tagak. Uh, <laughs> and the first time I watched that at the end of it, I was really confused by it. Uh, but then I, I I really got into it. And then the whole thing with Danvers and Navarro and, and Julia, it was, it was moving in, in a lot of places. And then I was worried. I was like, oh, is John going to like this one? <laughs> It's uh, very nervous for what mm. you're, and then of course we get the weird ending, right? We get the, what the hell just happened? And I, and I think that now we're into it, right? We're, we've got five and six to go. And I th feel like this is going to be analogous to, you know, when you're running down a hill and you can start to feel gravity mm -hmm. overtake your ability for self-control. Yep. And you just are getting yep. pulled down. And so you're just doing everything you can to keep your arms and your legs moving so that you can, you know, not go tumbling do, down. Do you go running down a lot of hills, David? I, I As a child, I did. As a child, sure. I was going to yeah. say, is this like a thing you do in adulthood? Because I, I don't, I can't remember the last time I ran down a hill. Not as a 50 plus year old man. <laughs> no, I do not. Uh, but it, that's what it feels like that we're heading towards. So I, I really... Fingers crossed five and six are going to be an absolute whirlwind of, of a show. And we're going to really end this. Well, I think just left stunned. I mean, she's been her, her direction and her writing has have been so confident. The editing is so good. The actors are just nailing it. So yeah, another great episode, not great in the same way of like, Oh man, I'm really jazzed and pumped more like, Ooh, this is some heavy stuff. And, and our characters are really dealing with some things. So mm -hmm. What'd yeah. you think? Uh, my favorite episode yet. I know you were wow. nervous what? about what I would feel about it, but I, I finally feel like I've got a grip on the characters. I feel like there are stakes for me now. Yay. Um, you know, the the whole thing with Julia was just heartbreaking. Yes. Really made me care about Navarro more than I did before because Navarro mm. puts on the tough guy thing, but she does have a lot of heart underneath. Totally. And it showed this episode, right? And it showed yeah. in the way that, she let the news out too. You know, she, mm. she, she goes, go with your family with, with uh, mm -hmm, prior Peter. junior. Mm -hmm. uh, but she tells, <laughs> she tells Danvers right after Danvers goes on a long rant about rant about how there's no heaven or hell or afterlife right. at all. And 
I was just a beautiful writing, beautiful, beautiful and heartbreaking writing. Um, I think that the mystery, I, I thought there was plenty of mystery. I was like, who the heck is this new guy coming in here? Right. Um, what, yep. what is with this new supernatural stuff? We're seeing more entities. I like the seating of Rose mm-hmm. not being who she portrays herself to be. And uh, it's it's great. I, I thought that they did a fantastic job moving those character arcs forward. And for me, I don't care about a mystery unless I care about who it's affecting. Got it. And I now care about the characters involved. Wow. And the characters solving it. And that is so important for me to yeah. move forward with this. So I'm really glad that, you know, we, we I stuck it out because I, I I've every episode I've gotten a little closer, but this episode I felt propelled me forward. Nice. Several steps nice. of enjoyment. So that's great. I, I really appreciate what they did here. A note about the writing, too. There's a style to her writing, which is very real. The way that people are talking with each other isn't this mm-hmm. kind of extemporaneous fictionalized. Well, this is, you know, these two characters, I need to make these two characters say these certain things Mm -hmm. to each other. This is all very down to earth. It's very grounded. It it feels like, and it sounds like people actually as, as we interact in our normal daily lives. And I think that's a really thing, hard thing to pull off because you have to be extemporaneous for the audience to be included but at the same time, we know that when a writing is too exposition forward, it sounds off as well. So she's really hitting that fine balance. And then for that to reach through the characters and to have you then attached to the characters is great. I, that makes me really happy that you're starting to enjoy the show at this at the same level. Also, I will say on the writing She's very good at writing believable dialogue. I don't know. Did yeah, she write every saying. script? All, all. I believe so. I don't know if she had a room or not. I would assume that she had a writer's room of some some size. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, beyond what you're saying, I think that the dialogue, the phrasing, and the word choice is really good. Um, you know, I I remember people were writing in because I was complaining about, and you were complaining about too, the cursing on Foundation and how it took us out. <laughs> I remember. Of it. Yeah, I remember that. And. It's not that I didn't need a curse in it. Like you can swear in science fiction. It's yeah. not going to completely take me out of it. The Expanse, I think, is a good example of that. But boy, was it awkward. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. every time Salver Harden swore, I was like, man, no one talks like this. This is right. not something that ever comes out of anybody's mouth. Right. And this finally felt like, like the way that they go, fuck you. No, fuck you. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's so it feels so real. And I when loved it. Leah was leaving and just not saying anything. Yeah. You know, or when Kayla says, you know, I just want to go to sleep. And then what Peter says, devastating. But like I've been in those conversations and arguments and, you know, I don't have a, that much drama in my life, but, you know, a normal mm-hmm. amount. And it felt so real and it felt so um, believable the way yeah. that the, the actors were delivering the lines. Yeah. And even going back to episode one, because I think this has been a strength of the series from the beginning. Um, going back to episode one, you have that car accident where, you know, they're almost hit by the drunk driver yeah. in the car. Stacey Chalmers. Yeah. And right after that, right after that, Leah's immediately like she's 16, by the way. Right. Like she's in her head 
she's still in her head in her teenage yeah. drama right. and i think that that was so realistic and that's what that's what made me think the show had potential things like that was these little bits of dialogue that felt like they rang true right like a teenager being hyper focused on their own drama i think that that feels like a real conversation between a stepmom and a stepdaughter right exactly so anyway so uh, praising the writing that's that's basically what i want to say there uh, 100% agree hard agree. all right so quick notes david yes quick notes sorry just a couple of things and then we're going to get right into it I wanted to ask you, what types of ghosts do you think we have seen so far of the three three? types? I think all three. You think so? Yeah. I I was counting them up and I didn't think we didn't have more than uh, number two and number three. I was trying to think of... What what is number one? Number one is the ghosts who miss you. Oh, I think Travis is that. Yeah, but he told her something. All right. So I kind of put him in two. Okay. All right. I I would say the one that needs to tell you something um, would be the ghost that Navarro saw pointing at the murderer Mm -hmm. in that flashback. Right. You know, the you saw something and then the and then the woman's ghost was like pointing at him. Oh, right. Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. At least that's how I read that scene. Maybe you read it differently, but okay. um, you couldn't really see what she was pointing at, but I assume she was being like, he killed me right. kind of thing. Mm. Interesting. Um, and then the ghosts that want to take you with them, I would say, are the ones under the bed. You know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. And I, I, I was trying to think. I couldn't think of a, a ghost number one type. I mean, unless Holden, but is Holden trying to tell something or is Holden just saying, I, I miss mm. my mommy? Mm. I don't know. Good question. Yeah. Right in. Uh, something else that I had been missing and, uh, a number of people on our discord were talking about it. And then there's a really great Reddit post, which I've linked on the, um, detective journal, but I also threw a link in the episode three channel on the discord was that twist and shout the music, various incantations of the music are all over the season and all over these episodes. And somebody went through and, and posted on Reddit a, a really great breakdown of where they all are. And speaking of ghosts, uh, I don't wonder, this is my theory going forward on this right now, is that Twist and Shout is the spirit world's way of trying to contact Liz, but she's not receptive to other communication. And so music is being used to try to you know, speak to her in some way. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're trying to say in general with Twist with and Shout. That's it the only seems thing I can like think a, of. a very shallow song, mm-hmm. which is why it's bizarre to me. But maybe I think you're right. I think maybe there's some kind of deeper meaning that we just don't know right now because she right. was she was kind of reacting to it right at some point when when it was on in Salal. Yeah, and then when Wheeler apparently Wheeler was whistling that when they uh, busted into his uh, his cabin. And then the refrigerator, remember when she was putting the turkey away and, and Leah came back, people have said that mm-hmm. that's what the, she was hearing, like the refrigerator was humming that tune. And mm-hmm. there's uh, several other places where uh, snip of its, snippets of it are are heard. And Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, it is. It's a shallow song. Uh, not shallow in the sense that it doesn't have, it's not a Billie Eilish song about. It's like, like go dance, right? Yeah, That's what exactly. the song is. 
Yeah, literally. And uh, so why? Why is this this thing? We thought at first that it was just this weird trigger for her trauma, but it's it's showing up in more in different ways. You've got this note about the color teal. Yeah, I heard this. I heard Joanna Robinson talking about this on the Ringer podcast. They apparently the color teal is all over the season, rooms, clothing, lighting effects. And, you know, some people have been digging into color theory. It's one of the clue areas that I've not gone down. One of the clue rabbit holes I've not gone down. Uh, So I didn't know if anybody else had thoughts on the color teal, but I wanted to encourage folks to to write in if they had some um, things that they wanted to uh, discuss around the color schemes that we're seeing. I'm going to call that one as a Markley, but sure. Well, and then this gets <laughs> in this whole semiotics, which is a whole other thing. We're going to, we, we need to talk, when we get to Leah, we got to talk about lighthouses. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I meant more like, I'm thinking like maybe it's just aesthetic of nighttime right Mm -hmm. you know this goes well with the blue lens i don't know i don't know i mean maybe it does mean something but sometimes a color is just a color sometimes sometimes a markley is is just a markley some (laughs) that's the fun that's the fun of it right yeah yeah all right david shall we scene by scene we shall we shall okay we've got a cold open on this episode We go from the static of the HBO logo to Liz's white noise machine. Danvers can't sleep, so she reviews the Annie K video. She checks on Leah. Can I I tell you the funny thing when I started this episode? Yeah, yeah. I had the baby monitor on in the background, which (laughs) there's a fan. There's a fan in my my kid's room. Uh And so there's always a hiss coming from the baby monitor. And I'm like, man, this monitor is really loud. Like, why can't I? I'm lowering the volume and it's not lowering. And, and it was just the, the show. It was <laughs> that's just awesome. That's awesome. So, again, <laughs> it's this diegetic, non-diegetic music that's transitioning the boundaries yeah. <laughs> between our physical reality and the show's reality and then the show's yeah. show's reality. I don't want to live in the show's reality. It seems no. very awful. <laughs> yeah. Not nice right now. So, and then that's in a number of other places where we have music bleeding over between two different scenes or multiple scenes. It's just, it's really great. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't help but think when she goes in to check on Leah, what parent hasn't done this same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Go in and sort of, you know, your child's totally asleep and you kind of tuck them in a little bit or yeah, Yeah. you just need to do something to feel like you parented. Mm, exactly it's and for you it's not for them it completely completely <laughs> and you know it, it goes to the depth of the depths of liz's feelings towards her stepdaughter you know which yeah. makes it even more tragic yeah. what happens later on i think I, I yeah i think that and you know to leah's credit i don't think that liz has really done a good job of expressing her love <laughs> she's Leah. done a terrible job one might say that she's withholding <laughs> yes and if she would just act like this when leah's awake leah might not feel the need to find a sense of belonging elsewhere mm-hmm. not to say that she shouldn't go with her you know her roots and and try to you know discover more about her birth culture but i will say you know she she might be getting into in league with some iffy people 
that are within that community just to feel like she belongs, right? The people, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people who are very inviting because they know that what they're doing is unpopular. Mm-hmm. And this is something where, yeah, they're going and tagging the mine. And sure, that does kind of send a message, but also Leah clearly did it in a way that was rebellious, easily caught. <laughs> right, right, right at the front door. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Not smart. Oh, security's not going to drive past the front door. Okay. Right. No, not like there's probably not security around that place regularly, given that the fact that they're attracting this kind of attention. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, all kids are going to rebel, right? Or and they're going to try to push away and differentiate. That's that's normal. Yeah. But yeah, doing it in a way that doesn't end up with a um, entry on your criminal record, like you don't have a criminal right. record database, right. you know, entry on yourself. Right. And you know that's. We should really talk about it when we get there. But I will say that, you know, that's the difference oftentimes between people who kids who end up with a criminal record and kids who don't is sometimes a kid does something stupid, but their parent fights for them, just like right. Amber's fought for Leah here. Even though um, Leah doesn't see it. And right, exactly. But my point is having an advocate is such a powerful thing for yeah. a child. Yeah. And that's something that you can't fix with school budgets. You can't fix with, you know you know, free lunch or anything like that. Like you, you need that to come from the home. You need an advocate Mm. from the home. And it's, it's so sad that Leah doesn't see what she has there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sad that Danvers can't be a more functional parent. Yeah, exactly. It's not Leah's fault that she doesn't see it. I'm saying it's it's tragic that she does not see it. Yeah. You know, something that we, that, we haven't talked about, and I don't hear a lot of talk about because we're all focused on the mystery and you know what's going to happen. Is it going to be rational or paranormal? Is the absence of Leah's mother and the absence of Peter's mother? We we have key women in in key people's lives just gone. Navarro's mother. So well, that what, makes what's me, that trope? <laughs> the woman always dies. Yeah. Well, and she's using it in this way. Uh, Lopez is, in, I think, in this way, in this broader contextual way, saying, "Okay, world, misogyny, violence against women, a, a lot of, you know, women who are missing and, and murdered. What does that do to us as a society? What does that do to our social bonds and our?" our connectivity with each other. Of course, tragedies are going to happen and people get ill and car crashes happen, that kind of stuff. Uh, but this idea that there's a whole, just all of these parents are just gone. That messes with people really badly, really badly. And I think there's a, that's, that's part of this larger stakes of what's happening um, uh, in, in the real world where the show is sort of, putting a spotlight on that yeah yeah and you know this show has done a great job of highlighting violence against women violence against targeted communities you know indigenous communities in particular and uh it's it's a great thing that they're doing it's 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 a lot of sad stuff but it's it's good subjects that are not talked about enough right but we are going to wait till later to talk about the annie k video because there's more lore to be had on that i think okay we'll talk all right we'll talk about it later because we got to talk about the fossilized remains that are there in the ice yeah let's talk about that when we get to uh mr mr maps okay all right fair enough yeah that works that's good 
All right, the title card gives us the date of December 24th, the seventh day of night. Danvers is driving to work, and Peter informs her that the bodies are being packed up to be shipped to Anchorage. She encounters Jules, who's having an episode. Boy, uh, the minute that Jules was stripping in the street, Mm -hmm. I had a feeling feeling. that was the end of her this episode. Right. And I I think we could have all predicted something terrible was going to happen to her even earlier in the season. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, this this was her downfall already. Yeah, you could see it coming. And again, Danvers with her maternal instincts kicking in in the crisis right. moment. In the crisis moment, she's there. She's spot on. She knows how to deal with it. Uh, she's, you know, I mean, that's the first thing that she does when they almost get hit by Stacey Chalmers. She checks on. Leah, are you okay? You're not hurt. Okay, I, I'm looking at you. You're not bleeding anything. You're fine. You're fine. It's okay. Like she's good in that kind of situation. Yeah. She's bad yep. with all of the emotional stuff. <laughs> A lot of people are good in crisis response, but are anxious people overall. Right. I mean, she gets an elbow to the face and is like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, she's being a good cop there. It's yeah. Hopefully she can be a good cop in other situations. And I don't know if that's always true. After the opening credits, Navarro comforts her sister at the station. Danvers and Navarro agree they need to discuss the video. Peter then watches the crew from Anchorage packing up at the ice rink, and Evangeline takes Jules to the lighthouse. So Peter watching the corpsicle getting packed up. Mm. Uh, I, I couldn't help but think that he might have had some sad boy vibes going on here. This is probably the biggest case he's ever going to work in his life. He's yeah. going to have other stuff, right? You know, as a, as a, in his professional career, other things will happen and, and big things will happen, but not like this. <laughs> this is it. Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, the doctor is viewing is, is kind of scouting him for state police force now for the like the, the headquarters. I'm, oh, I'm okay. making a joke. Oh, like Ted. For uh, right. Yeah. Ted. Yeah. I think right, he's, he's he says considering that voice bringing him on good. as a companion. Yeah. Mm, right. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. He's like, oh, that kid has a lot of potential. And Dan- I, you can see Danvers kind of get a little protective of him, I think. That's true. She's yeah. Like, I didn't think like, about this that. This is my guy. Leave him alone. Yeah. Yeah. This is my protege. Yeah. Uh, to, this is my protege to the point that he's going to ruin his family relationships because that's the model I'm teaching him. <laughs> yeah. Pete should transfer. I support that. Get away. First of all, get away from this this town that's falling apart. But Kayla's family's all there. Ah, uh, that's true. That's all her right, community, right. right? So, well, all right. Well, I take it back. I take it back. It's a, it's a tragic. It's tragic. This is this this is the tragedy of the scenario of the situation, right? And so. and probably being a police officer is one of the only well paying jobs in this town. That's a good point. And, and that's even with police officers not really making all that much in a town like this, anyway. In general, yeah. The really noticed the camaraderie that Liz and Angie had together in this scene. There's so much that's pulling them together. And Lopez talks about this, the the respect and an admiration that they have for each other and that Liz can empathize and identify with Angeline Evangeline uh, at the same time. And when it's offered, you know, Angie's like, thank you. 
Like I appreciate it. I, you looked after my little sister. That's huge. That's so important to me. Yeah. And so seeing the, the uh, healthy, normal part of the relationship was a nice little moment, which actually then, now that I think about it, really sets up for later, right? Because we yeah. have this nice, yeah. very sane moment when things are going to get insane uh, down the road. Indeed. All right. At the station, Peter has a lead on medical records regarding similar injuries. Danvers and Ted Connolly talk. They flirt in their own weird way. And there there was the <laughs> fuck you, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, fuck you. Fuck you. That felt really natural. You know, Very. it's funny. I think that Christopher Eccleston has been doing an amazing job with his American accent. Mm -hmm. This was the one scene I was listening to him very closely. There were a few vowels that I was like, that's turning a little Northern English there. Mm. Uh, just a few vowels. I think I think it's in the he has these exaggerated R's. Okay. And that's yeah. great. But that he he you know, you know, it's a it's the subconscious things that you got to worry about. But I mean, overall, I think one of the better American accents by an Englishman second only to Gregory House, you know. Right, right, yes. Fair enough. We learned that uh, Ted's going to run for mayor. That's exciting. I don't, I think she's just busting his balls. I no, don't he's running for mayor. For mayor. Oh, it's, he is? Happening. Yeah, for sure. Why would he do the teeth whitening thing? I don't think mayor. Why Why mayor of Anchorage? Why not? That's, that's where okay. he's going. Yeah. All right, all yeah. right. That's what he wants Good to do. Good for him. Great for him. Is that like an Eric Adams joke? Like mayor of New York City, who is uh, who is a police officer? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Well, you know, it's a it's a pathway. It's a it's a valid pathway. Yeah, pathway. Yeah. And when we learn that he was not a good uh police officer as as Danvers was. So and yeah. that's probably why he's chief, because he's political, right? He's a political animal as more that's, of a political animal than he is a um detective or a police officer, law enforcement. But that's a skill, right? Like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm I'm going to bring in something that has a political connotation, but I'm not going to take a stance on it, so don't sure. worry. But like, okay, look at what's happening at the border right now, right? Mm -hmm. You have Texas and the yep. the federal government fighting over who can control the border down there. A and piece of it, right. Well, there are definitely places for policy experts and places for enforcers there. What you need negotiating that are not people on the ground. You need people who can work with each other and who can get along with each other. Sure. And yeah. who can be interpersonal and say, like, what can we agree on? And I think Ted's better at that than Liz. Liz Way is just like better. Way Liz better. is a uh she's a fine-tuned instrument. I'm not gonna say she's a blunt instrument, but she it's kind of like taking a fine-tuned instrument and hacking away at it, uh, hacking away at something with it. Whereas I think Navarro is kind of the blunt force sometimes. I would almost go to um, like a savant-like quality with Danvers and her investigative skills, you know, to to somebody who's, uh, you know, say a mathematician or theoretical physicist or a music conductor. I'm thinking of the movie Tar, you know, things like this, where somebody is so powerfully moved by what they work on and we're all idiots because we don't get it on the same level that they do. Right, that there's some sort of ego identity thing going on there, and if she's a really good investigator, everybody else is shit at their jobs. Right, it's it's like that. Mm -hmm. She's 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 so into what she does that she can't see that anybody else can't be as good as you know she is. It's right, very I Sherlock. Think, very I, Sherlock. I think, yeah, but I think the point is like Sherlock needs Watson. 
Correct. Because Watson is the one who makes sure that people don't kick his fucking ass. <laughs> and Watson is the one who makes sure that the police chief keeps coming back. Right. Because you piss enough people off, doesn't matter how good you are. So she's a Sherlock without a Watson. Or is Pete her Watson? To, yes. I don't think Navarro can be her Watson. Position. She throws a few no. too many punches. Right. And, and Navarro <laughs> is too ego strong in her own right to, right. Uh, you, you know, so you've got two, two alphas in there to go to the alpha beta thing. But, you know, you've got two top dominants. They, they can't be yeah. in that position. It's, it's too much friction. I love the humor when Connolly goes to water the dead plant that he smells the <laughs> bottle first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cute. Oh, you're gonna take my office too. Yeah, yeah. I, I love. They really are very good at busting each other, and that's I really like that about the dialogue in in all these scenes between those two, and also her and Navarro. And the levity, just having a little bit of levity in this story, really makes the whole story go down much easier. You definitely needed it in this episode. Mm, yeah, dark episode. Speaking of dark, Jules checks in at the community center since she has the darkest plot line in this whole thing. Um, Evangeline promises to visit for Christmas. So this is the last time they see each other. Yeah. And as the scene ends, the way that the camera pulls back down the hall is exactly like it does in the uh, end of episode three when they're all watching the Annie K video. Mm -hmm. the, the way that it's pulling back, it's the same camera movement sort of receding down this hallway. And I can't help but also feel like this goes with this whole water motif that we have in the opening um, credit scene. And of course, what happens with Jules is that the drowning person is receding from the person on the surface. So Navarro's there mm -hmm. standing at the end of the hall and we're the drowning person, you know, sinking deeper and deeper, further and further away. And that camera right. movement really accentuates that that emotional sense of of something's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as she checked in, I was like, this isn't going to go well. No. Whatever. I didn't think she was going to die like that. I thought I thought mm. something was going to happen in her room or something. But it was shocking the way yeah. she died, too. Really touching scene. The great acting by both of these actors. I'm just so impressed by yeah. uh, what Callie Reese is able to deliver. Uh, it's it, you know we've remarked on it multiple times, and you know I'm going to keep remarking on it because it is yeah. so good. Yeah. So, so at the station, Peter has a Christmas present for Danvers. It's Otis Heiss. What a delight! He's a German national, and he has the same kinds of injuries as the Salal scientist had danvers makes peter work on christmas eve and i really he says, hate you <laughs> i, he hate says, you I really hate you <laughs> but like it's playful but he means it a little bit yeah you know it's yeah i it's i real. think here's the thing that's really heartbreaking about peter is he's gonna look back after his marriage fails and be mm -hmm. like i could always get another job but i had a family mm-hmm and that's mm -hmm. really heartbreaking because he's making it a very and I think a lot of people make this mistake, right? They go workaholic. They go, I'm providing for my family. I I have to dedicate myself to work and they don't set appropriate boundaries and then they lose their family because they're too withdrawn. And they realize that, whoops, bad decision. Right. Bad no one ever decisions. woke up on their deathbed wondering how much more money they could have made. Right. Mm -hmm. 
I, I think to this accentuates what I was saying before. This is going to be, you know, maybe Peter will work bigger cases, but this is going to be one of the most interesting cases yeah. that he will ever have worked. Yeah, and to sacrifice his family. I, I don't know if if you feel this way about parenthood, but for me, being a parent is probably the best thing I will have ever done in my life. Yeah. Just shepherding another yeah. life forward in the world and teaching and, and supporting and loving and having the, the, the two-way connection. There's um what there's a lot of things that I've got to do in my day-to-day life. But none of it would ever would I ever want to sacrifice the relationship that I have with our with our daughter in yeah. a way, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm proud of what I do at work, but I, you know, most so much of my joy comes from just getting home in the evening and playing Monster Dad with my daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Just just these moments of of joy, you know, making her giggle. And my son will get there, but he doesn't have much of a personality yet because he's one. But he'll <laughs> he'll wild. get there. He'll get right. there. Um, but yeah, it's, he's really wasting his, his kid's childhood and that sucks. So the German national had no records except for his criminal record, which is the Mm. same as Oliver Tagak. Right. So John, ask me the question. I don't know. I I don't know the answer. I'm, I'm not Danvers. Who had his records scrubbed? Oh, who has the juice to be able to scrub records to the level of social security numbers? Do you know what I'm singing? Mm, I don't know if I know that one. You didn't know the corn song from TikTok? Uh, No, that one. There was some kid who said he really liked corn because it's Uh got the juice. And somebody made a song about it. Like, it's got the juice. It's all about corn. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, anyway. anyway, you said it got the juice. I, uh, it's fine. It's fine. Right, Hopefully, right. someone got someone a laugh out, out of that, that on their drive to work. You know, somebody did. But yeah. So yeah. who who has the muscle? Who has the reach? Who has the know how to scrub not only Heiss's records but Tagak's records? And who else? Who who else have they have they done this on? I so, mean, maybe conspiracy. it's connected to the mining stuff. Like they they have connections connected somewhere. to Salal. It's what did, what did, to, uh, yeah. what did Lorraine from Fargo say? Like, call, call me the big orange idiot and get me something from my campaign <laughs> donations. Right. Maybe there's somebody like that. I, I could see the mining rig lady from this episode. No, 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 no. no. Sorry. This is the Salal research station. This is, uh, I've got to go to the. Uh, no, I'm saying if she's involved with these murders nope. or whatnot. Uh-uh. It's, this that was is, Salal? This is Salal. Because remember, Heiss is working for Salal. Tagak is working for uh, Salal. So this is NC Global Strategies is the holding company, which is funded by Tuttle United, which is part of the Tuttle Ministries from season one. So this is this international pedophilia criminal weirdo ring that is involved in nefarious shit and they're the ones that are um the deep pockets behind salal so so the tuttles they have the resources to call up as as lorraine would say the orange man and and get the uh the records so erased, you think there are there are season one stands out there who 
bristle at the idea that the tunnels were no bigger than uh, a regional concern. And then there are other folks who are like, but look, if you look at, if you go back to season one, and I won't uh, spoil anything directly, but indirectly, even saying the, near, the name Tuttle is, even saying the name Tuttle in the other episode is, is a bit of a season one spoiler. It, it's no big deal because it's it's about nefarious conspiracies, right? The very noir story, there's like weirder, bigger uh, um, uh, concerns moving and shaping the world, right? So if you think that there is a bigger conspiracy out there that, and if we look at the Tuttles and how big they were down there, what's to say that they didn't grow beyond their region? What's to say that they didn't get connected? Big money gets connected around in the world in places that we don't know. I mean, I don't want to sound too tinfoil, but you know. Money, money looks for other money and, and they make connections. So I totally think that this is a something deeper with the Salal, you know, who's, whoever is behind Salal. Mm. All right. All right. Let's put a pin in it. Okay. My head's getting a little hot. The tinfoil is uh, keeping all the, the, <laughs> the cerebral heat in. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Danvers and Navarro talk by phone about the video. So there are no caves nearby and Annie's body was moved. And mm. we can talk about fossils when we, cause they say, Oh, isn't there, there's something weird fossily bony in that. Yeah. yeah. So we'll talk about it when she goes back, when we get, I guess to, um, to Bryce, to Mapman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also the thing later that comes up with the power shutting off, but we could save that for then too. Right. Was that in another? Yeah, that's when she's drunk. Yeah, that's later. She's, then yeah. she calls her on Christmas Eve. The power's turning off. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not great. It's not a great look. I love how everyone gets her right away. Everyone is like, are you drunk? <laughs> They're so not used to uh, interacting with her that way. that They can tell something's so totally off. And so they're like, wait a minute. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. All right, in vain, Hank waits at the airport. I've seen this episode of 90 Day Fiance, too. Oh. <laughs> this is I, every week I make that joke, but every week it gets more true. So I have to right. keep making it. <laughs> right. I love the psych out with the stewardess. He thinks like, yeah. oh, wow, this is this is her. Nope. It's the stewardess just closing up the, <laughs> the back door. It was so yeah. Talk about yeah. deeply embarrassing for a man with such pump with with such a puffed yeah. up sense of of pride and ego you know yeah you know i um i, I every season of 90 day fiance i kind of we th i talk about with my wife like the bingo card of like things that people say mm -hmm. in a particular season and one of them is did you send them money <laughs> somebody no, wait, always asks that <laughs> yes every time did you send them money are and they just here for a green it. card yeah it, what what are her intentions yeah. Oh man, that's yep. it's uh, it just in the way that John Hawks is playing this character, you can just feel his stomach drop inside, knowing yeah. that he's just been made a complete buffoon of, and he's been swanning around all this time and sending all these text messages and and oh my gosh, just the 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 internal I, embarrassment. Move. I'd move across the world right. from embarrassment for that. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. He he definitely got. <laughs> you ever watched Thirty Rock, where Tracy mm-hmm. Morgan says, "What's the past tense of scammed? Is it scrumped?" I think he just got <laughs> scrumped. <laughs> I don't know if I saw that one, but that's funny. that sounds like a very uh, uh, thing. Something he would say. It's a Tracy Morgan thing. Yeah. yeah. So I think Hank got scrumped. He got scrumped. Hmm. Danvers and Navarro drive and talk. We learn about Danvers' past and the death of her mother. They go to Bryce's house on Christmas Eve to get help with the ice cave and fossils and learn about the heist connection. Just the, what yes. did what can I just ask you, what did Danvers <laughs> expect out of this interaction? Again, the humor. You should maybe stand in front of me. <laughs> she's like, what? <laughs> and then when Navarro figures it out, she's just like, you did what? So good. It's a very, uh, just a great comedy duo style uh, minute. It was priceless. And yeah. the wife's reaction yeah. was priceless as well. She's like, like, you got to be fucking oh, kidding God, me, you know? Are you serious? Christmas yeah. Eve? She just can't let it go. She just can't let it go. And in fairness, they are dealing with a murder. There yep. is a suspect at large. Yep. It's a serious situation. However, she is bothering everyone else and deputizing everyone else while going home and getting drunk. Yeah. I uh, was shocked that Pete was not pissed at her when, right. you know, he goes, was she drunk? And she goes out of, you know, out of her mind. And Pete laughs about it. And I was like, wow, that was an interesting reaction. I would be mad that I had to leave my family because my boss got drunk. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, okay, Monodites. This is the family of whale species that um, umbrella over um, um, uh, narwhals and beluga whales. Sorry, I, I forgot the name beluga whale for a second. Um, and so this is a species that's common in this area. There is recently a new um, species that's actually called Monodites uh, mm. specifically. Um, where is it here? Bohaskaya monodites, which is it's like recently discovered, but it was actually mm. that's somewhere else. It's actually uh, on the East Coast, I believe. But anyway, so this is a real thing. So this spine and this head, I took a picture and put it in the detective's journal and we'll have that in for episode four stuff. Um, they're clearly are signaling something that, that has to do with this thing. And I think it was a uh, Duve 71 who was on our discord and uh, posted something about the star shaped wound marks on um, Annie K. And he looked up a, uh, where is it? Uh, he looked up something that was an interesting theory. Here it is. Another new fossil. Fossil of a mos- mosasaur. Oh, God, I can't pronounce this. With bizarre screwdriver <laughs> teeth found in Morocco. So again, star-shaped puncture wounds. Uh, mm. This thing has um, uh, uh, like ridges all the way around it. So it makes a star-shaped thing. So Are, are we dealing with a dinosaur here? Yeah. we. This is, this is a really weird turn for this whole storyline what the hell is fossils have to do with with uh with this murder of these mm-hmm. scientists well if there is a dinosaur in the world i'm glad it's very far away from where i live <laughs> and across many land masses 
So the Brooks Range is a range of mountains that um, sort of goes west to east or east to west, depending on your orientation, uh, across the top end of Alaska and sort of separates the north slope from the, the southern part. And from where I can guess Enos is relative to the real map of Alaska, the Brooks Range is right behind Enos. So you just go inland a little ways and then you're at the at the far western end of the Brooks Range, as I understand it. And I'll put okay. a map uh, in the detective's journal as well with, with this for this episode. So. Well, we know Ennis is at the end of the world. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is at least at the end of the world. Love this um, when uh, he stands up and bangs his head on the lamp. Again, more comedy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a spooky scene, honestly, to have him consider it. And uh, interesting that they have to wait to go into those caves, right? Mm-hmm. Puts another timeline on since we've we had the timeline of the bodies melting. Now we have the timeline of when can we get an expert because it's Christmas. I think it was really smart to put this storyline during Christmas mm-hmm. because, one, you have the family drama. Right. And two, you Good. have this lack of resources you're you're depriving someone of resources for a reason which is always a really hard line to to Mm -hmm. tote yeah and it ramps it up when yeah when you it's like we've got to chase this suspect down it's christmas eve we've got to keep the case moving forward right yeah Yeah. it, it works really well it sets it creates a lot of dramatic tension for sure yeah at the lighthouse, Jules sees an orange roll out from under her bed and then sees a vision of her mother under the bed. She freaks out. I know oranges. we have feedback on oranges. Yes. I want to save it for then. but Fine. But the the whole thing of you see an orange, somebody's going to die, right? So, mm-hmm. And it ties in. I, I When we get to the feedback, we'll talk about it. But it's not displaced in the story given the importance of oranges. So Yeah. And boy, did she die. So I guess I guess the orange thing worked out. It was a pretty good jump scare, honestly. I'm not oh, a big you've... fan of jump scares. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're kind of lazy, but it, it, they did pretty well with it. And you're a, a seasoned veteran of the jump scare. So if it, if it worked on you, that's saying something. I mean, I, I didn't jump, but <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh, that was spooky. You're not complaining. So that's no, that's yeah, it was, it was yeah. good. It was a good that's one. Good, good awesome. work. Hank swings by the station from the airport to have a quick drink. As you do at the office, you know. Right. Of <laughs> course. Uh, you want me to bring this baby over? Isn't that what he says? Yeah, this, that's this right. Little, she's this still, girl over? She's got some life left in her. Yeah. Oh, boy. He and Peter have an awkward conversation about Alina not showing up. And this is where I said, you know, he does the 90 Day Fiance bingo card of did mm-hmm. you send her money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the so phones good. are down. It's <laughs> that was as. The way he so we've I don't think we've ever seen this guy smile before. Right. And this scene, he's so outwardly jubilant mm. while being dead eyed that it's so spooky, honestly. He's this guy's unhinged. Yeah. And I think I'm well, I'm trying to think of like why they put this plot line in, right? Why they even put in this Russian bride plot line. Interesting for the yeah. overall story. Good question. Yeah, see, Good I'm asking question. the right question. There you go. Yeah. And I think it's two reasons. One is to give us the clue about the money. He's still mm-hmm. got some money. Uh-huh. But the second is get 
you know, you talk about ramping up pressure, get Hank into a situation, into a mental state where he's going to do something dangerous and stupid. Ah, good call. That's a good call. Yeah. He's going to be, he's going to be triggered in his own way and and react. Mm -hmm. And that's going to affect whatever else is going on. Look, look at all our main characters right now. He's got his thing. Peter is having marital problems. It's falling apart. Danvers is drunk off her ass because her daughter hates her. Right. Her daughter and leaves and then her boss, uh, her and her boss lover have a huge fight. Right. And Navarro just lost her sister. Yeah. And then got into a, a career ending brawl with uh, a former, um, uh, you know, somebody that she had arrested. Yeah. Well, I doubt he's going to report it because then he. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. again. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway. Everybody's a mess. Abuse of power, though. Yeah. But yeah, I, I the point is, I think everyone is being intentionally ratcheted up in their stress level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was saying before about that running down the hill kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. all coming to a head and we're just going to have this, you know, avalanche of circumstances and, and people doing stuff. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to, I remember something I wanted to say back with Bryce and the caves and the Brook Range, Brooks mm-hmm. Range stuff. There is a scene in the opening credits of a, an equipment room sort of bathed in red light. And one of the things that they are doing at the end of every uh, episode at, so, you know, you, you have the opening credits and then the final shot of the opening credits where it basically says, you know, executive producer written by whatever mm-hmm. uh, Issa Lopez, that shot is different every time. One of the times it was the cafeteria at Salal. One of the times it was Kavik's ice shanty. There is one of the times where it's this red, this this uh, um, equipment room where there's like parkas and ice axes and all kinds of stuff. And it's sort of in a, it's lit by like a red light, like a light that you would have in a dark room or in a place where you're about to, transition light right so that your eyes are you know used to a a lower wavelength so Mm. uh i think that's going to come into play in the brooks range uh when they get to the brooks range stuff so anyway sorry carrying no 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 i think it's a good thought and and good eye that you're catching those differences between the title screens i did not notice at all i have uh i have to when i started noticing that i i tried to take some pictures of it but i have to I can only take pictures on certain screens at certain times of the day because otherwise I get reflection my my own reflection in the screen. So I gotta. Do you I know, gotta they they that. have these screeners locked down, and I so I wanted to watch it on my TV, but there's no you know screener app for my TV. I thought there was. And well, well I, I I was just going through my LG TV. I didn't go on any Fire Stick or anything like that. Oh, okay, I see. What, yeah. Um, that might be the issue. But. Yeah, because I think so, they have it for like Roku and Apple TV and stuff. Okay, okay, maybe I gotta set set up my Fire TV again, but. Anyway, my point is I tried to share screen my laptop yes. to my TV uh-huh. and it was like, no, you're not doing that. <laughs> and I was like, wow, even yeah. even local sharing. I can't I can't share it on my screen just so I can watch it on a different screen. I'd have to get an HDMI. Yeah. To output. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. All right. Let's move on to Navarro heading out to Rose. Uh, Rose's house for some Christmas cheer. We learned that Rose was a university professor. A disenchanted one, I'd say. Yeah, very much so. You are familiar with John Lithgow? 
Yes. The actor. She was channeling John Lithgow in this scene. She totally, I, I was having a hard time going, wait, isn't that John Lithgow? Um, so I don't know what was, what was up with that. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, yeah uh, she was great in the scene. Um, but it almost felt like a different character than yeah. the ones that yes. we had before. Exactly. You know, when she's outside, maybe because she hasn't seen a dead person in long enough. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Quiet, except for all the dead, she says. Yeah. Great, great line there. Yeah. Interesting that, that we just have this little touch scene with her and we have yet to, you know, she's she hasn't been, uh, she's she's had one major function in this plot, but we haven't had a lot yet else with her other than being a kind of, uh, what's the way I want to say this, like docent for us, the audience, to explain the rules of the dead kind of stuff. Other than that, I don't know. She hasn't had much consequence of much consequence in the story. So we'll be interesting yeah. to see if she plays a, a more uh, of a role in the next two episodes. Yeah. All right. Um, as far as what she says to, I wonder what she was a professor of very serious things that she's very dismissive about, but I yeah. feel like that's going to come into play at some point. Okay. Okay. Because otherwise it's a weird backstory to just throw in there. And it is. actually, yeah. if I if we're talking about the quality of the dialogue, this was the one scene I thought suffered a little bit because mm. it felt like Navarro going, so tell me your backstory, character. <laughs> We've never talked about your backstory. Right. What is it? Good point. Yeah. Show me your character sheet, Rose. <laughs> um, anyway, Danvers gets a call from Mikitrick. Is that how I say it? Mikitrick. Mikitrick. Sorry. Uh, Leah is being held by mine security for defacing the building. Danvers convinces McKittrick to not press charges. So one problem I did have with this scene sort of on a realism scale was Leah's a minor and the security is a private guard. Mm hmm. You cannot do that. They, they, you, with the the chief of police and the stepmother is standing right there. You cannot hold the child. You'd have no legal right to hold that child in that truck. <laughs> a minor, like that, is like a big no. Uh, yeah, let alone yeah. the regardless of chief of police status stuff. And right. that you know when McKittrick does her little like oh you know let her out. I was like, dang, you know. Yeah, uh, they, you know, there's an arguable like shopkeeper's privilege kind of thing. Um, until Danvers gets there. But as soon as she gets there, she should be released to the police. Exactly. Then again, her daughter being involved, she probably should not have gone there personally, but instead said another right. officer. Exactly. Right. Like yeah, there's a conflict else. of interest there. Your second um, of command, who is Hank Pryor. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that I re that really struck me was how much better fitted the um, the security was than Danvers. Like uh -huh. they seemed like a more legitimate force than the police <laughs> in this town. And I think that was intentional. I think that Issa Lopez here is trying to demonstrate like money buys sure. private security. Money yeah. buys big guys in suburbans. And uh, where a town has to go through a local police force, you know, we've got public is government, right? We have to have transparency. We have to have an understanding of, of where money is being spent to prevent corruption and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, for sure. And so the, same like uh, Fargo. 
yeah and there right? there's a great sort of juxtaposition here of low level police corruption right it's it's you know her asking for a favor for her daughter mm-hmm. right yeah uh, but also kind of an abuse of power of the uh you know the the victim here you know the the mine uh and i and i think that what i'm trying to say here is both sides are a little bit wrong sure right sure. like she should face consequences but you know it would be nice for her to not have a criminal record just to start off life with right and sure. uh you know the she did the right thing by just calling danvers directly but uh, or maybe she didn't. Maybe Denver's got a call from emergency services. Do we know? No, that? it was it was McKittrick. It, was, it definitely it, was, it was okay. Yeah, okay. it was definitely her. Yep. But yeah, um, it's not great. And now Danvers owes McKittrick a favor. Kind of, yeah. I love the line that McKittrick says, you talking about what's unacceptable. <laughs> like you stooped <laughs> my husband and you want to talk about what's unacceptable behavior on the part of your stepdaughter? Uh, that's yeah. rich. Yeah. So. Did you notice that the other cars that were parked in the lot there were Teslas? Oh my god! Yeah, that like, seems actually cringe. really impractical for totally the, impractical, right? Because there's whole issues with batteries in the cold. Yeah, and That's then not, like the okay. uh, the a bunch of places that got uh, a lot of cold weather not too long ago, and cars you know wet and then freezing. And then cars that sometimes form, you know, an ice shell. And then the Tesla little door handles can't pop out of the door because yeah. they're all iced yeah. over. So, yeah. Fun. Super fun. Um, one other note I just had here. You can't force the police to press charges. I think everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. But she's like, well, you don't get to decide if charges are pressed. Like, actually, law enforcement does. I guess law enforcement doesn't directly. It's really the DA, but... Uh, it's really the prosecutor's office, but it's just yeah, funny how yeah. she's like, no, I'm I'm pressing charges. It's like you as the victim don't press charges. The right. The state would press charges. criminally. Yeah. Right. And Unless the, you wanted to uh, pursue it civilly. Right. Right. And, and that's realistically, probably Leah would end up in like a first time offenders program and probably mm-hmm. get like probation or something like that. So exactly. hopefully we'll see. We'll see. I guess we won't see. Anyway. I think we should take a break, David, because we've got a nice little transition here with the Billie Eilish song. We've got probably about half the episode left, and I think it's time we uh, we take a breather. And we're back. So back to the scene by scene recap. The next few scenes are bridged together by the song Everybody Dies by Billie Eilish. Uh, I'm going to try to combine a few scenes here just because there's a few character beats that we don't necessarily need to go through in detail. But the first couple scenes are actually pretty meaningful, so let's do those ones in detail. After leaving Rose's, Evangeline calls Jules to check in, but we see Jules is not in her room. She's out at the shipwreck, and we watch her remove all of her clothing and walk out onto the ice. Pretty heavy stuff here. I want to make a quick mention uh, about the Billie Eilish song, which is Everybody Dies. And the lyrics are are pretty somber. And the conversation around the song and the the verses, the different verses, um, that at least in the first verse, this idea that, She's Eilish is commenting on um, 
sort of mass dishonesty and how we teach each other to lie to each other, um, I think is really interesting. We teach, we tell each other lies. Sometimes we try to make it feel like we might be right. We might not be alone. It's almost like this song was commissioned, uh, <laughs> like they actually commissioned Billie Eilish to write a song about this season. That is like so on point for so much because Jules has been lying all the time about, you know, whether she's actually going to be able to deal with this. Danvers is lying to everybody. Um, you know, uh, Navarro is lying by the act of withholding, right. And not, you know, sharing her herself with people. It's just a really poignant song. And, and there's a whole, if you read, if you do some Google searches or whatever, maybe I'll post this on the, um, Detectives Journal as well. There's a, a nice analysis that I found on a, a website of what the song means. It's it's got a lot of connectivity to this uh, to this episode and to the season overall. Cool. Well, I appreciate the deep dive on the lyrics. Yeah. Um, so as far as this jewel yeah. scene, um, can I first praise because I, I again I'm bringing up old grievances of uh, you know people said I we didn't like cursing and in science fiction and i i would say this is slightly science fiction although mm -hmm. it's it's leaning more into the mystery of course um there was another thing about like sex scenes right i think i think uh, i think somebody called me a prude when it comes to fantasy <laughs> and sci-fi uh, which uh, fair if you want call me what you want but but the point is i actually thought this was a very tasteful nude scene which mm -hmm. was you know it's making her vulnerable and it's mirroring the deaths of Salal. And so it actually meant something. There was a reason for her to be naked here. And I just mm -hmm. wanted to praise Issa Lopez for doing, doing it right. And I think this idea that she's letting go of her earthly possessions. She, did you notice that she folded and stacked her clothing? Oh yeah, she did. I didn't connect it till you said that. So wow. again, I think it goes back to some kind of ritualis ritualism, if I can say it mm -hmm. that way, that um, if, and I don't know what the traditions are for uh, people who live in and around the Arctic. I'm, I'm aware of that there is something to be involved in like, well, when it's time to die, you just walk out on the ice and you let yourself be taken back by nature. Mm. I know in, in some tropical regions in Africa, that is also a, a thing, you know, like you, you just get to a certain age, you just walk out and you let the hyenas take you. Right. Mm -hmm. And you, you, you save yourself. It, you know, it's, um, uh, you get to an end point of your life where quality of life is, is over and you make a decision for yourself. Right. I'll be so, honest. I don't think Jules was at peace here. No, I think Jules was, I don't think Jules wanted to die. I think she was exhausted and tired and um, she just couldn't handle it anymore. Mm. So it's very uh, sad. It is. And it's, it's a, it's a tough scene. Uh, so I hope, you know, I hope people who are watching the show and listening to this podcast, uh, you know, make sure you take care of yourself too. If this is something that is affecting. Definitely. So. Definitely. And it's really heartbreaking how she calls Navarro and <sighs> says, you know, I love you. Yeah. And he gives her one last, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, it was very effective. It was a very effective scene. And Devaro even had said in a previous conversation, you know, don't you just want to sometimes just let go of everything and just walk away? And Jules literally does that in this, in the scene. Yeah. 
So uh, I want to talk really quickly about some semiotics. Um, Semiotic away. Yes, it's a big fancy word, which basically is the study of signs and symbols and meanings thereof beyond just like, oh, somebody walks into a room with a white coat in the stethoscope, right? That that's interpreted meaning that person is a medical professional of some kind. Okay. So like surface level stuff, we do that all the time. A badge, a uniform, uh, you know, a hard hat, uh, you know, with a tool belt and a ladder, right? We can interpret all of these kinds of things. And then there's like taking it to another level. And I am no, by no means a, a, a subject matter expert in this, but it is a place where this is a study of co- a course of study that you could do at university and things like that is semiotics. And I caught something in the last episode that I've been um, kind of excited to, to mention or point out a couple of details. One of the environmental scenes that we see of Ennis uh, just around, you know, in all these different shots is of a like a lighthouse beacon, but it's, it was like at an industrial facility or something like that. But basically to, you know, as a, a, a lighthouse function, right, this rotating light um, to, to warn people of things or to let people know where something is. And then we get a scene of Navarro out on the ice around the time that she has her vision when she slips on the ice and she, the camera is way back and she's searching her light into the dark in the ice, like a lighthouse in a way. And then we go to a scene Mm. with Jules at a shipwreck. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's going on here? And I know before there was some talk about, oh, is the lighthouse a sinister thing? Is this some, you know, are the Tuttles involved in secreting people away using the lighthouse stuff? No, I think the lighthouse was just a a reasonable name for a community health center. But this idea of lighthouses has been introduced and we've got these strong visual scenes that are, are really closely connected in time. Uh, of these two lighthouses and then who's at the shipwreck Jules is at the shipwreck Mm. and Navarro is her beacon. She's trying to bring her in. She's trying to give her the pathway in the dark. Like I'm here. This is safe. It's safe to come here, you know, or, you know, lighthouses also warn of danger, right? You know, they're, they're saying, Hey, this is where the the coastline is, you know, make sure you adjust your course accordingly. Hmm. And then it's this whole idea of light versus dark, which is very true detective, right? The, you know, this, this idea that uh, uh, there are dark forces and it's the light that, you know, we're trying to use the light to keep the dark forces at, at bay. So all of that is at play here. And I just, again, really appreciate the deeper level construction that Lopez is doing here visually and in the storytelling. Um, and I don't know if there's more of those. That's just one that has really jumped out at me. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was super cool. And the, the, the vision of, of this ship right after these two other things, it really worked on me. So I'm loving all the symbolism that you're pointing out here. It's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it makes it even more heartbreaking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so semiotics, you can at me if you have issues with semiotics. <laughs> cool. We cut to Leah packing up her things and leaving to stay at Pryor's. She's then picked up by Kayla Liz throws the uncooked turkey into the <laughs> trash and gets drunk while watching the Annie K video again. Ah, uh, 
It's just, yeah. She's like, I'm not cooking this fucking turkey if, <laughs> if you're not here. Um, That's expensive. Also, to get that turkey up to Alaska, way up there to Ennis, that is an expensive turkey. That's like three to four times the price we would pay down here in the lower 48. Yeah, well, um, my thought was, I don't know exactly what time it is because of the long night stuff, but it does seem like it's the evening. Mm-hmm. And you needed to start that turkey at like noon. <laughs> well, you were the busting tent balls. We, we criticize you on your you, turkey. You don't making guys. You need to go look it up when you have to make a turkey. They have all these calculations you can do and multiply the pounds by the number of hours you have to cook it. And uh, it's she. She does not know how to cook a turkey. From wrong. Nope. Nope. Also, yeah. I'm gonna guarantee this. She didn't defrost it. No, it was out before. Remember? No, she put I don't it back believe in the you. fridge. All right, Navarro. No, it was. It I, was sorry, out. Danvers. I don't think knows how to cook a turkey. <laughs> Based on the way she goes, I'm going to cook for Christmas this year. Well, like Leah says, I'm not going to make you pretend anymore. That's. Ugh, but that she doesn't fight punch. hard enough. Honestly, I think that Danvers does not fight hard enough. Well, then she tur- she turns on her heel and says, "Fine, get out." Like, F you, yeah, that's the point know? is just withholding. She won't be like, look, I just went to bat for you. I just want to have a nice Christmas mm-hmm. together. It's mm-hmm. it's I'm, I'm sorry for how I've been acting. You know, it's I don't think Danvers has said she's sorry in her entire life. She didn't even say sorry to Navarro after she ranted about no afterlife. Right. And then Navarro's right. like, yeah, well, my sister. sister's dead. Yeah. She didn't. She wasn't like, oh, sorry. I said all that. She was just right. like, oh, no, she's an that's a-hole. bad. Yeah. Yep. 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 And then I can't help but because we get that little scene of uh, Hank and Peter when um, when she calls over there and or no, no, just uh, sorry. That wasn't this scene. Uh, That's later. But this where. Well, no, maybe it is. Well, anyway, the, the point is, is that Danvers has just run roughshod over this entire family over Hank, like taking his job, right. You know, if she was promoted over him, uh, you know, working Peter nonstop ruining Kayla's, you know, you know, marriage and Mm -hmm. that son, like she's just had a horrible impact on just this one family. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess Kayla doesn't have anything else to do that night. Just like, just like Hank Breyer. I got nowhere to be. I can wait. <laughs> so boy, sad. oh boy. So uh, oh boy. All right. Back at home, Navarro finds a present from Kavik at her door. SpongeBob is the Yellow King. We can move mm-hmm. on. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. As the song ends, Danvers hits. A, and by the way, the song, the Billie Eilish song that we mentioned 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, as the song ends, Danvers hits on a connection between the Molina and Annie K videos. Someone or something cuts the power in both. She calls Navarro and then Peter to have the follow up with Tagak, who is now a suspect. Because I guess he was he was the equipment manager, right? right. So he yep. would have had the gear. You ever watch Portlandia? This is my second like sitcom reference in the night. Yes, yeah. Portlandia was a, a favorite in the day. Oh yeah, well yeah, you're from that coast, so yes, I, I graduated yeah. high school in Portland. In fact, oh, oh. so so yeah, so it, I'm I'm sure it, it was meaningful to you. Anyway, there they have that whole bit about like you got to get the gear, we got to get the gear. And yes, by the yeah. time they get all the gear, it's nighttime. Right. But uh, yeah, they this guy had the gear. 
He did. And so we have Heiss who mapped the caves and Tagak who set up the ability for them to go do stuff in the caves. That's that's where I'm going right now with these theories. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I like it. But um, that's on the rational side of thing, on the the spooky dooky side of things, the the chumpalupa side of things. In both in in episode one, we had multiple occasions when weird stuff happens. There was some sort of electrical disturbance, and like the the wolf that Rose was gutting sort of just you know jolts a little bit when she sees Travis for the first time. Uh, a couple of times on the radio when you know something happens. So whatever this phenomena is, it has the ability to uh, affect the. Uh, electrical, you know, the EM fields, you know, if, if you will. So. Yeah. All right. All right. I buy it. At Pryor's, Leah learns to roll out dough and with Kayla and her mother. Peter collects Navarro and they drive out to the hunting camp, which seems abandoned. Tagak is not there, but he left a couple of spirals. Spooky, spooky. So the song that's playing in this scene is Into Dust by Mazzy Star. And it's just so good. It, it, the song is um, a, a, about a story of a woman who feels like she's decaying and fading away as if mm. she's into dust. And um, just this idea that somehow our interactions with people just disappear and are, are so ephemeral. It's just mm-hmm. uh, such a good song. I, I really love it. Yeah. And then when they get to the hunting camp, they show us the scenes of all of the antlers and bones and stuff. That is very reminiscent of season one uh, in certain scenes where there's just lots of stuff. Uh, so that that's a good, strong rhyme uh, back with season one. And then when the when we see the spiral, whenever we see a spiral, listen to the visual effects. There's a weird kind of sound that plays and mm. they play it here. There's this like weird astral projectiony, you know, uh, thing it's, it's, and so it's, you know, uh, that, that, uh, auditory cue, like mm, something supernatural. Yeah. And when the, you know, the, the men of the camp come and say, Hey, you need a warrant. They seem spooked by the spiral, too. She yeah. shows the spiral to them, and they're like, oh. Uh. And the dogs bark when she yeah. does that. So Yeah. Very, very, very What's creepy. What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think you said, you know, season one, the spirals were kind of a red herring. Yeah. But in this season, they're definitely doing something with them. Not so much of a red herring. It was just a design that a production person threw up, and um, uh, it, it didn't have as big... There, we probably have seen two to three times the number of spirals in this season than we did in season one. We cut back over to Danvers, who gets sick of looking at case files and decides to drive over to Daddy Ted's hotel. We learn more about how Danvers ended up in Ennis. They argue, and Liz leaves. Uh, yeah, we, we Mr. Teeth Whitener over here. <laughs> Watching Which, Elf. Can, can I say it's just pretty funny to watch a Brit try to make their teeth perfect? <laughs> all right all right point. all right you can add him you can add me so apparently the teeth whitening thing the uv doesn't um do the work 
it's the chemicals that you put on the teeth and then the UV uh, expedites the process by exciting the molecules of the gel so that those can get into the enamel more quickly. So that's why when she kisses him, she's like, Ooh, that's gross because he's got a bunch of weird teeth whitening stuff uh, on his teeth. I'm cutting you off of deep dives. You've gone too far. (laughs) I I did one Google search, one Google search. You've gone too far. So, uh, but what, the big part about the scene is just this whole, you know, people hate you. People yeah. hate working with you. And that's why I had to transfer you. Yeah. It's like I had to get you far away from the Capitol because probably she was a toxic asset to his career. Yeah, probably. And and as he says, she got worse after Jake and Holden. So, yeah, you know, she needed some place where she could just focus on work. Yeah, we still don't know exactly what happened with them, but assuming it's bad. Yeah, assuming it was like a drunk driver incident. Yeah, that seems to be what we've gotten clues so to it. Yeah, and if they don't tell us exactly what happened, I'm, I wouldn't be completely disappointed. And it's you know, it's vague backstory, vague sad backstory. Uh, we visit with Hank, who is also watching Elf and regretting his life choices. Yeah, that's a recurring thing in this, isn't it? <laughs> well, just Elf. twice. Just it looks like just twice. You know. Elf starts off, he walks from the North Pole to New York City. Was that what Jules was trying to do? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm just I'm just doing stupid conspiracy theories now. Okay. Because I, I was trying to find some. I was thinking to myself, no like, okay, <laughs> twist and shout. Twist and shout is a whole thing. Is Elf a thing? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of people watch it during the holidays, but. Yeah. And Hank Pryor is like, I can't watch Zoe Deschanel fall in love with this elf right now. <laughs> I can't in his that. teal room, in his teal living room. <laughs> yeah, John Hawks is killing it as, as Hank. By the way, his his acting is so good in this. So anyway, yeah, very believable, very yeah. believably an asshole. As Pryor and Navarro get back to her house, Navarro gets a call from the Coast Guard about Julia. Peter gets home late, and things are not great with Kayla. Yeah. So just this fact that Navarro is like, yeah, everything's fine. Go home to your family. And then pizza family life is not great either. <laughs> it's just, it's so rough. It's so rough all around. It was bad. And then it it's really just bad. such a beautifully lit scene too, as Peter walks in the door from the dark, right? He's in dark silhouette. He's in the dark and he comes into the warmth and the light of a Christmas tree all lit up and his home and, you know, all the smells that represent home for us. And, and then he says that shit about, you know, you know, about you didn't really, you know, I ruined your life and you didn't really want the baby. I was just like, no, don't say that, man. That's the word. Don't do that to your children. You know? Yeah. That was really bad. Don't, don't bring the kid into the fight. So I, I was actually going to ask you about that line because I heard baby uh-huh. and, but then I, I've listened to it back and I thought he was saying like, you didn't want it anyway, like, or you didn't want any of it. Like, I, I thought he was maybe just saying like, you didn't want this life with like me as a cop, but I think you're right. It was baby. We just don't have subtitles. So, and he says it fast and I, I really did try several times to understand what he was saying, but I couldn't mm-hmm. get a lock on it. Yeah. No, I, I assumed it was Darwin is what they were talking okay. about. So, yeah. Yeah. Very sad. Very sad. I, I wish he didn't. And and like he's been so sweet to everybody the whole season. Yeah. 
Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's lashing out. And that's the first time we've seen him do that. Yeah, it's rough. Actually, we saw him kind of lash out at Kayla in the first episode when she's trying to, you know, feel him up a little bit. And he's like, no, I have to take the call. And so I think I think he's lashes out at his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is, he's uh, some darkness. Yep. Yep. And this is, again, a true detective um, hallmark is that the price that the guardians pay. And that's what goes on a lot with. Uh, Woody Harrelson's character in season one is, you know, he's trying to create, to preserve the bubble, the innocent bubble of his family. And so he has to dispel all this energy in other places, which then gets him in trouble with his, you know, family. Cause he didn't doesn't help wanna... that it was secretly helping break into the Watergate. <laughs> you keep, it didn't help. you keep working that joke. It doesn't help. I, either. I, it doesn't listen, help that I, show either. It just, you know, he Nixon kept calling and it, it, it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good. In a rage, Navarro goes to the lighthouse and loses her shit. She then goes and picks a fight with the asshole from episode one. Yeah. I don't blame her for the lighthouse one. Mm hmm. You know, it's not, it's not, okay, I understand that it's not a detention facility, and we could have a long conversation about how mental health care has gone down in this country, in part because of lack of funding, and in part because we've had some court rulings that, rightfully so, say you can't detain people against their will, but they didn't have an alternative, right? They didn't put in place an alternative of, of, what happens when somebody's in one of these voluntary facilities? And I think really they should have, first of all, known that she was gone. They didn't even know she was gone. And second was they should have called Navarro. They should have called Evangeline the minute that they knew she was gone. Yeah. Yep, at, yep, at least yep. she's gone an hour. Go find her. You know? Yeah. Maybe she could have gotten there in time. But I, I mean, I doubt it. But you know what I mean? Like they did not do their due diligence here. This guy clearly did not give a shit working right. at the desk. Well, yeah, yeah, he. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's, it's the mine has more security <laughs> than this. Get those guys working in lighthouse. Right. When Navarro goes to, um, pick the fight with those guys, there's something that struck me there too, which is when she's down on the ground and she's getting kicked at the end of the scene there's a mention of uh, the violence that was done to Annie Kay's body in the, at the murder scene that she was also kicked after she had died. And it really, again, a, another rhyming couplet there, just a lot of yeah. ugly trauma stuff. Yeah. Um, regardless. And then I wanted to think too about this, regardless of whether that guy pressed charges or not, if it ever got to her trooper command that this happened, that's a career ending thing just from yeah. a conduct unbecoming kind of and as it should be right. Like absolutely it should be career ending that you went and beat somebody up for the sake of it. Just and she used a out. weapon like she picked up a hubcap and hit one of the guys with it. Right. So yeah, it's it's probably felony battery. Yeah, completely, completely. So and, and then color of authority, too, because she rolled up in uniform with her lights on. Yep. Right. So, um, last two little quick notes about this scene too. The song is this wild darkness by Moby. 
And uh, there's great lyrics in there, which I won't uh, go in, but the the chorus is, ooh, in this darkness, please light my way, light my way. And, and it's all about night and I'll never be free, blah, blah, blah. And as the camera rises up from, you know, Navarro getting the shit kicked out of her, literally, there's a line of trucks in the back. Did, that, did you say literally? So she's she's pooping at this moment? Oh, come on. All right. Uh, all right. All right. All right. And there's a, a line of trucks. So this is like some sort of junkyard. And beyond it is the dark of night. And it's this really weird thing where the trucks bisect the darkness. And so what's in the light and in the mundane and the rational is in the lower part of the screen. And then the camera rises up into the darkness as this, you know, really uh, uh, soulful song, uh, this wild darkness plays. It's again, another masterful shot. Wow. Nice. I will put the, um, this wild darkness, uh, Moby, uh, uh, lyrics in the um, in the show notes as well, or not in the we show do notes? Like Moby. In the like Moby in the detective thing. He did all the music for Holes, I think. Oh yeah, we liked that one. Uh, as the song continues to play, we get an overhead shot of Danvers driving down the road in the darkness with her headlights lighting the way. She almost collides with the one-eyed polar bear. So, one-eyed polar bear. Do you have thoughts? Because I have a very strong theory about this. Um. I don't have a thought on the polar bear exactly. I just was absolutely certain she was going to get into a terrible accident here. Sure. Yeah. You can feel that coming, right? Yeah. And then she didn't. She just, you know, got stuck in the snow for a second and apparently yeah. made it home. Uh, a couple of uh, episodes ago, we had um, I, I picked up something from a, a Redditor and I, I forget that person's handle right off the top of my head, but they had... Um, posted some information about polar bears being guardian spirits mm -hmm. for Arctic communities. Uh, I, so I really am uh, strong on the theme that this is a guardian spirit, not a malevolent force. Okay. This isn't, this isn't a type three and, and going back to the sort of semiotic -y stuff, there's some dream sequences later, which we're about to get to, Right, this polar bear, the the stuffed polar bear has one eye. There's a um, Bettina sent me a picture of a polar bear statue that's in town that had snow covering one of the eyes. In the dream sequence, in a lot of the dream sequences, and in the one coming up, we see Holden having a, a hand over his eye, or we only see one eye because of the shot. So I think this polar bear and Holden are connected in some way. Hmm. Okay. We definitely did have the polar bear with, with Holden prominent later yeah. on. Well, having a snooze, Kavik is woken up by the sounds of Navarro cleaning herself up. He attempts to comfort her, then pretends to propose as a ruse to reset her broken finger. That was <laughs> smart. Because even I was like, oh, dude, not now. Yeah, oh, seriously. my God. But I love that it was just a ruse. Yeah, yeah. He's such a good person for her. He's such a... He knows exactly oh, what she needs. Yeah. He doesn't give her what she wants, but what she needs. Ooh, sounds like a, somebody should write a song about that. I actually kind of stole that uh, that whole idea of, from Doctor Who, where the doctor... There's a, an episode where the doctor gets to talk to the TARDIS for a minute. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. She's like sentient for a minute and she well, she is sentient in general, but um she be she's incarnated in person for an episode. And he says, Why don't you always take me where I want to go? And she goes, I take you where you need to be. <laughs> nice. Well, and, and that's of course the the famous Rolling Stones song as well. You can't always it? get what you yeah, you can't oh, always, you get, can't what always you get what you want. Okay. All right, yeah. fair enough. But that's the point, right? Is I think Kavik gives Navarro what she needs, you know, makes her open up about her mother. Yeah. He, you know, heals her finger even though she doesn't want him to do it right doesn't actually do the sappy romantic thing that he that she thinks he's doing but instead total distraction does the yeah <laughs> genius so genius good. would not have thought to do that and even when she yells at him afterwards he gives her a second of space yeah. he doesn't rush back in he gives her yeah. a second to cool down and then he goes and comforts her more well cool down she's going deeper into her trauma but Beyond the point of I'm pissed at you, she's now yeah. Going like into the deep when trauma. I say cool down, I mean um, yeah. Be, stop being angry at yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. <laughs> like she's not going to punch me immediately. Right. Did you catch that the rock, the spiral rock, is there? He put it on yes. the bar or whatever. Yeah, that's okay. a convex. Yep. Cool. Cool. It's Christmas Day, David. The eighth night of night, and the sun seems to be returning. Yeah, I'm not sure how we were supposedly at 150 miles north of the Arctic Circle line. So I don't know how it works there. How many actual do you I, I don't think that the show has told us how many days of night we're going to have. How long? I think it's like three is. months, isn't it? Something but like that's that. like but, when you're way you up get, north. That's when you're way up. Yeah, I don't top. know. I don't yeah. know. But but um, I, I mean, I, I think it is. I think it is still months, but. Uh, you do still get like these brief, like the sun peaks up for a second, right? Yeah, it's not, exactly. gonna, it's not completely gone, even exactly. if you're n- in night. Um, that's yeah, it's still only a night totally just gone you have the sun peeking up. when you're up at the very top, I think. Right. Mm. So, yeah. Well, yeah, it's Christmas Day and, and Danvers has successfully ruined four Christmases. <laughs> right. She ruined yeah, her Christmas. Yeah. Yep. She ruined the Priors Christmas. Yeah. She ruined Ted's Christmas, and she ruined Navarro's Christmas. Mm, did she ruin Navarro's Christmas? I get. Yeah, I guess. Well, she did make her work on Christmas, but I think she wanted to. I think Navarro wanted to. Yeah, she did make make them go out. So you know that sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Danvers has a dream of Holden, and is woken up by Navarro ringing the doorbell. Navarro realizes she lost the stone and tells Danvers that Jules has died. They argue about the existence of the afterlife. Navarro thinks she's cursed, and she lies about what happened at Wheeler's. Danvers gets a call. So the dream, really quick, one-eyed Holden, quite a lot in there, and then cemeteries. And we saw some scenes in the opening credits where these there's I, what I would guess are whale ribs, rib bones, uh, formed into an archway. Uh-huh. And it seems like that might be used as sort of a traditional marking or quasi-traditional markings at, at cemeteries. So we get some cemetery, some straight up cemetery reference along with uh, Holden here. Hmm. This whole thing where she's ranting about the afterlife was rough. Mm. Because and, and it was a great example of situational irony, right? Where the audience knows what just happened to Navarro, but Danvers is just so in her yes. own head right now. Right. And Danvers has legitimate trauma happening right now, right? She has her stepdaughter basically trying to disown her. Um, and yeah, it's just really rough to watch her dig herself deeper into this ditch. 
well Navarro standing right there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, again, I think very, very true detective, this arguing about the nature of reality and, and our existence. Uh, so, you know, still on brand there. I also thought that the no heaven or hell, that was a nice little Beatles callback, given that we've got twist and shout, you know, in our ears all the time. Heaven and hell. Is that? Oh, no. No heaven or hell below us. That's, yes. That's not yeah. the Beatles. That's John Lennon. Well, He'd technically you are correct. He'd be offended. But John Lennon did also sing Twist and Shout. So I'll, I'll give it to you. Technically, yes. I was uh, mildly incorrect. Listen, I had like a Beatles obsession for like a year in high school. Uh-huh. So I'll, I'll trivia you out. All right. I'll, that's I'll, fine. I'll compete with Jim. You can, Beatles you can trivia. Go. That's fine. You yeah. can take the old yeah. man to the woodshed. Um, oh schizophrenia, bipolar, and borderline personality disorder. So schizophrenia, yeah, we had, I was we were talking about that earlier on in the season. So yeah, yeah, that's that is a full house there. That's not great. We do have some feedback too that talks a little bit about mental health stuff from uh, Bettina W. So uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more when we get there. More about the Wheeler case. Yes. Yes. So. Navarro sees a ghost. Was that the dead girl? That's kind of what I read it as. That's it seemed like the clothing, the top seemed to be the same. Yeah, that's what I thought. Strap. Okay, good. I thought, I thought so that that um this was later that they argued about it, like in the mine, in the abandoned dredge, rather. No, it was here. It was here. Oh man, I have it mixed up then. But yeah, because that's- she's saying you, you know, when she's when Navarro is going on about like, you know, after seeing the polar bear and, and seeing stuff. Uh, and then she says, you, you know, this is just like in the Wheeler case, you saw something then in Navarro says, no, I didn't. And completely lies about it and shuts it down. Right. And Danvers is, is so pissed at her for like not being honest in this moment of all the times, you know, when, you know, we need some authenticity and honesty between each other. You know, you're shutting you're shutting down and, and this is yeah. BS. But it is believable to me that Navarro is withholding like that. Right. Completely. Navarro is like, she, I think part of it is she's terrified that she's also mentally ill. Completely agree. Completely agree. And if and she acknowledges why, it as real out loud, mm-hmm. then she has to deal with it. Ex- yeah. She has to decide whether she's going to go with Rose uh, you know, saying, uh, mm-hmm. is it mentally ill or is it, uh, you know, real ghosts or is she going to go check into Lighthouse? Which is going to end her career. Yep. So, well, she's doing a pretty good job of that herself <laughs> without too much help. I don't, I don't think she needs a diagnosis to end her career. So great conversation going on on the discord. Uh, the last couple of days, people debating uh, what happened in the Wheeler case uh, I posted a couple of gifts of just showing Navarro and then just showing Danvers uh, as they have their guns drawn on Wheeler. And apparently he's whistling twist and shout and their reactions to it. And so everybody's like, no, I think it's this person. No, I think it's that person. And in a really kind of mm. fun, everybody's having fun with their um, uh, arguments, you know, the, the, you know, the logical, the construction of, of arguments. So it's, it's pretty cool. So that is cool. I like it. Fun. Last scene here, they head out to the old abandoned gold dredge to follow up on a possible setting of what turns out to be heist. Navarro starts having visions after seeing the giant spiral. 
Danvers finds Heiss and Navarro has an encounter that leaves her with a ruptured eardrum. Is okay. is that a ruptured eardrum or is she just bleeding from her injuries before? No, that's uh, a ruptured eardrum. That's what you think the it's new? Yeah, that's what the guys what had the, in the Yep. Okay. Okay. 100%. So whatever Thanks. this entity was and is or what's go whatever's going on there, it had a physiological physical response that, you know, or or uh, effect that has ruptured her eardrum. Well, that's no good. I don't think her ENT doctor is going to be very happy with her. <laughs> Not at all. This whole thing is very reminiscent of season one again, where the uh, two protagonists are separated and they're working their way through some weird ancient structure, trying to confront, you know, uh, whatever is going on here. It doesn't resolve in the same way, but... Um, uh, certainly is a, another rhyming couplet with it. So, and again, when we see the giant spiral, we get that weird wow mm -hmm. kind of uh, music, which is interesting. And I don't know if that causes the um, uh, vision that Navarro has, or if that's just all part and parcel of it all. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she saw the spiral before and it was fine. And it right. wasn't just on the rock. It was on the wall, wasn't it? In... Um in Tagak's place. In, uh, no, it was on a piece of cardboard. It was on a piece of cardboard. Okay. Yeah. But it was big. there's a little was... burnt piece of wood there too. So Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. This is the scene that made me immediately message you after I watched the episode and say, what the fuck was that? <laughs> yep. It got no way more supernatural than I thought it would. Yeah. Very quickly. I got a picture of the entity. And so I'll put that in the detective's notebook. Okay. So cool. uh no idea what's going on there. Yeah. No idea. The parka yes. that Hess is wearing yes. has a smiley face on the patch. Yeah, that's Annie Kay's jacket. But no, because the one that we were looking for, the smiley face is removed and there's a rip in place of the, the oh. smiley face. So, is and there? we only see oh. this, huh? There is, huh? Yeah. So, but I thought that parkas. that was, I thought that uh, Clark's current jacket had the smiley face on it. Mm -mm. Oh, we don't know. No, the one he has from uh, episode one, I think, has the rip. Or no, we don't see the shoulder. We see the color. Mm. We see just above the shoulder line where that would, where we would see whether it has the smiley face or not. And I think in the video, the Annie K video, we would have seen him because we see a full body of him. Huh, I'll have to go back and, and check that. Maybe yeah. if anybody's rewatching, um, send me a screenshot. We can put it. I there. thought I thought that it had the smiley face. Nope. So I don't think so. But I could be wrong. So I think I have a photo where we see the smiley face on the jacket, but the face of the person is obscured by some equipment, by like an ice core or something like that. So I think that that picture that we have seen of the parka with the smiley face is Heiss. And then I think, think we see some other pictures with uh, Clark and then obviously uh, Annie Kay, and she probably has his parka. So I think there's two parkas floating around out there. Okay. Uh, and then we get... We get another electrical disturbance as um, Evangeline approaches the Christmas tree because mm -hmm. that wasn't on until she got down there. And so something seems to have is activating it. 
And then Heiss says he went back down to hide. He's hiding in the night country. We are all in the night country now. So spooky, spooky. And then what did uh, Lund say in episode three? I don't have my notes up, but like we awoke her. She's out there. She's in the ice. So. Spooky, spooky, spooky. We just have to wait. (laughs) Yep. Well, we don't have to wait much, but unfortunately the viewers do. The the general public does. It is nice to be able to watch the next episode tonight or tomorrow. That's right. That's right. You know what? I'm looking at the pictures of this uh, entity that's screaming at Navarro. Mm-hmm. It's Jules. It's Jules? Yeah. She has little yeah. dots, uh, little dot tattoos coming off of her left eye. She has a little ladder design on the traditional chin um, tattoos. And she's got blue hair. All right. Well, that settles it. That is, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is Jules. And when she looks down the the gold in the gold dredger, down from the upper levels, the hair of the body going back. I'll have to take another picture of the body floating if I can. I know I've got one somewhere. Um, the hair seems to be blue as well. So, mm. cool. That's yeah. a good. Pe- that's a good find. Yeah. Did you see my new rig? I took no. a, a gorilla. I posted this on the in the. Oh no, I did see this. Sorry, yeah, I thought you've yeah. been on on Notion or something. Yeah, no, I I I I figured out a way I can uh, leave my camera up to take screenshots in a much more efficient manner. So <laughs> very <laughs> that's happy cool. With it. Yeah, that's cool. Getting some good results. Well, David, we've taken this episode apart. Um, you lose the bet. It's an hour and forty six minutes in. We got closer we not, because last time we were like two over two hours just on the content, right? And right. Now and now it. we've still got listener feedback. Yeah. See, that takes us way over. So, yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll get into it. Perfect. And we're back. David. People yes, want to write in. They, they do. They can go to uh, thelorehounds.com, head to our contact page, send us a contact form entry or a voicemail, which is, is a lot of fun when people do that. They could also email truedetective at thelorehounds.com, or they could tag us on our Discord server in the True Detective channel if they'd like to do that. They could also just hop on the Discord just to be part of the conversation. A whole lot of fun over there. Some people even send us Patreon messages. Oh, that's true. That's true. First up is Andrew K with an email with a couple of technical suggestions. He says, Hey guys, loving the true detective coverage feels like you're back in your wheelhouse. As I think back to your and or coverage, it does feel nice to have a, a really substantial show to be able to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I had mentioned something about notion and hit counter things. And, uh, Andrew K said, I know that there was a mention about not having a hit counter like the old school days but on the Notion Detective Notebook, but uh, he wanted to make sure that I knew that there is a stats feature that's built into it. So he, he gave me a, uh, the uh, helps page for that. And so I was able to actually see, oh, yeah, you know, like what's going on. So it's, it's been very helpful. Thank you, Andrew. And then 
he continues. Also, I know another listener has mentioned the intro being a little long. I think we've shortened it considerably uh, yep. since then. Yep. Uh, but wondering in the notes if you could add some time markers like the example below. I uh, you know it's a bit of added work, but it would be swell. So he gave an example of being able to, uh, in the show notes, being able to link so that the audio will jump to a particular time code. And I think we can do that, but we have to publish the episode first and then go back in and edit the show notes to be able to do that. But, it's it's tricky. I so we've talked about this in the past, and basically yeah. the problem is we do a separate version for patrons and and public. So I'd have to go and do separate timestamps, and it's it's a little rough. Also, I edit the podcast in reverse. It's just kind of not practical for the way I edit. Right. I'm going to be honest. Right. Um, but if we someone would know really that wants to, to like anyway. listen to the podcast before everyone else, and then <laughs> and then do timestamps for us. Maybe we'll do that. Yeah, but it's a good suggestion. Um, yeah, if, if it were more it. practical, I'd do it. It's just kind of hard to work in. If we had an actual engineer, like if we had a big enough Patreon where we could actually hire somebody to do all of our editing and engineering, that would be something we could totally have them do. So that's yes, I'm not an actual engineer. I just learned that you're, uh, <laughs> you're an engineer that has a day job. You're, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, I used to edit the podcast really manually and I think that it's we've been able to do more projects because I do it this way now. Yeah. Because I do marker style editing, but it does have its its disadvantages. Like I can't do timestamps really. All right. Uh, an email from our old friend Kim M. Hi Kim. Good to hear from you. They say hi, David and John. It's so nice to hear your voices again. I've been only listening to audiobooks for the last couple of months. I hope all is well with the both of you. Well, it it largely is. And uh, thanks for asking. Uh, Kim continues, one of the things I noticed when watching movies and shows is the lighting, especially artificial lighting in closed spaces. I think it's because I took theater production in high school and I went to a four-year art school with a theater department. I was in the visual arts department, by the way. I'm a painter. Anyway, I know this is from a couple of episodes ago, but I was especially nerding out on the scene with Navarro and Kovic inside the shanty. I'm guessing the fish swimming was visual effects, but amazing if not. I'm not sure if they had lights embedded in the ice to give it that eerie green glow coming from the floor. If so, they um, if they did if so, they did add some green bulbs. Is that the nat is that a natural color? How many lights did they use in and around the building? It grows it glows green on the outside as well. I'm not asking the right questions. Kim says, <laughs> yeah, the, the lighting is, was just really beautiful in that scene. Um, and I think it had to have been some artificial thing. I think they were, they had to mimic that, that light. And I don't know in ice fishing, if you do put lights down below at night like that. Yeah. I have so. no idea how ice fishing works. I've never had to ice fish. Nancy M posted a picture on the discord of her son and a couple of his buddies ice fishing out. Cause they live in oh, Alaska. That's cool. That's something to do. It was really funny. They caught a can of beer. Go figure. <laughs> well, it's something. We're not used to looking at people that are being lighted from below. We've all been conditioned to get the spooky vibe when we see it. On top of that, it's green, so it's even more strange. I love it. And Navarro is being lit from her right by a glowing orange heater. So she has an extra layer of bizarro shadows and colors on her face. That's a really good pick. I didn't even notice mm. that. Yeah. Nice one. 
Kim continues, life drawing was one of my favorite classes in undergrad. I took it often as my elective. I can't help but see shadows and lines when I look at people. How would I draw you? It would be fun to draw Miss Reese from that scene. Yeah, it would. Really a, a lot going on there with her expressions and stuff. Uh, Kim concludes, my money is on Danvers shooting Wheeler. I mean, he started whistling her trigger song, but we do know that Navarro isn't afraid to break the law. She pours the alcohol in the guy's tank in the first episode. I'm 75% Danvers, 25% Navarro. Enjoying the coverage so far as usual and appreciate y'all. I'm so happy to have you in my headphones again. Best Kim M. Uh, good to hear from Kim. Yeah. Any, any good thoughts? to be in your headphones again, Kim. Absolutely. And uh, loving the discussion of visuals. I get, I always say I'm terrible with visual identification of, of like, you know, clues Stuff. and whatnot. I, I'm much better with, you know, written word and sound and whatnot. But yeah, it's great to, to when people point it out to me, then I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And again, just a, a really excellent production. The the show is really putting the, yeah. you know, they're they're putting the effort in. They're putting the, the hours in for it. Yep. All right, next up is Loremaster Bettina W. Uh, Bettina sent in a couple of messages. We were gotten into a little uh, chit-chat back and forth. So, and one of her emails was from before, or I think it was like right after we recorded uh, episode three. So I, I basically took uh, apart her several messages and sort of combined them into one where it sort of makes sense. Uh, Bettina says, spotted three things from my rewatch of episode one. First, another polar bear that's missing from the notebook, snow covering one of its eyes. It's, uh, I believe it's a statue in town and they drive by it. And mm. uh, I've added that to the polar bear collection. Thank you, Bettina. Uh, Bettina says, I'm curious to see how far they'll go in trying to tie this back to season one. Possible McConaughey cameo or some sort of rust coal flashback. I think the consensus is folks are like, we're fine. We don't need, you know, we don't need that by and large is what I'm, I'm getting a sense of. Um, and then Nick Pizzolatto, the original showrunner, has not been a gentleman about his reactions to the season. He said some really um, unkind things online in very short of shade. You know, he's throwing some shade. And about he said this some, season that we're yeah. on now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not good. Not at all. That's not so cool. uncool. Yep. It's like down in, in comments in, on his Instagram, he'll say, Oh, can't blame me if you don't like the season. And why would McConaughey want to come back? Like just really sarcastic cutting bullshit. So we don't, it's like kind of gross. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of gross. So yeah. anyway, we'll see how far they go back. I think hopefully they'll connect it more to the grand conspiracy stuff and, and maybe, yeah. you know, uh, not in the specifics. Um, additionally, uh, when drunk Stacy, which she's she's talking about, uh, Stacy Chalmers gets picked Mm -hmm. up by Danvers. She says something like my baby, she's not talking to me. Is she seeing her dead kid, seeing the dead and different ways of dealing with it seem to be thematic now. That's a good Mm. pick. I hadn't thought about that. Mm. And now Danvers is the one drunk driving. (laughs) Exactly. Right. She's like, don't judge me. It's like, it's yeah. not a question of judgment. It's your judgment that's under question. Right. 
okay, so then Bettina, so that's catching up on all the other stuff. And then Bettina says, I uh, watched episode three today and enjoyed the heck out of it. Just two quick comments. I am a social worker in a psychiatric care facility, and mostly I work with people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia. So I'm very used to people telling me about seeing or hearing stuff that I can't see or wouldn't identify as quote unquote real. After almost 10 years on the job, the rational explanation of biochemical processes in the brain has become my default framework to evaluate any situation, even movies or television shows that deals with stuff that can't be real. Of course, for the person experiencing the hallucinations of any kind, it is very real, and people deal with it in a lot of different ways, very much like we see in Ennis, Rose versus Jules. So I find myself sitting on my couch watching weird stuff, not finding it weird or scary at all. Kind of sucks. I'm curious to see if this season will go fully paranormal, leaving it ambiguous or giving us a rational explanation for everything. I prefer ambiguous or rational. I prefer ambiguous or more. mm, I I don't understand her sentence here. Um, I'd prefer either ambiguous or rational. So either. I think she's saying, you know, either either it could be. you know, either they don't answer it or it's a rational right. answer and not, not paranormal. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't, huge... I don't think you're going to get what you want. I'm going to be honest with <laughs> you. I think after this episode that, that you had not seen at the time of writing this, yeah. uh, we, we are leaning firmly into the paranormal. Uh, Bettina continues. A huge mental health issue is hearing voices. We usually distinguish three kinds of voices, voices talking about the person, voices talking directly to the person Voices giving orders, sometimes resulting in severe self-harm. I know it doesn't translate perfectly to the three kinds of ghosts we're seeing in Ennis, but I can't help but think that there's something there. Maybe in the end, the big picture won't be about a killer at all, but really only about what we can already see. Mental health, environmental, and domestic violence issues and what it does to community. I'd like that, she says. So what do you think? Uh, any any thoughts there, in John? I think it could be yes end. I think back to Fargo, and I think I brought this up before of of how they sort of tied up the real life themes of debt and redemption and justice with a supernatural plot line, just to put a bow on it. You know, doing this three step reveal of of uh, you know you can get all these themes of domestic violence just by being there if you're paying attention, or we will throw in some paranormal stuff just to show you how much of victims these people are. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, I think you can have it be layered like that. I don't think that the supernatural will necessarily take away from the rational messaging. It can just reassert it. Right. Can augment it or highlight it in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, and I like this parallel that, Bettina's pointing out here about the the different voices that it, by and large that they they categorize talking to the person talking or talking about the person talking directly to the person uh, and then giving orders to someone it does really overlap quite strongly like you could see some connectivity yeah, there if you definitely if you wanted to so and that's what Rose says right don't confuse mental illness for um, for the whatever she said. I can't remember if she say spiritual or metaphysical or whatever. So, um, Bettina concludes finally the long darkness 
And the disorienting effect as it has on us viewers made me ask myself if I'd rather have a long night or a long day without any darkness for weeks. I'd totally go for darkness and gobble up vitamin D pills to get through. Imagining a few weeks without it ever getting dark seems very exhausting to me, like there's no time to really rest. What about you? Cheers, Bettina. Thanks, Bettina, for writing in. Thanks for being so engaged with the show. It's been a lot of fun, and I, I know just everybody's... I think our whole community is just really happy we've got like a really uh, solid show to, to work on. Yeah. John, darkness or long dark or a long day? Look, you can buy a sleep mask if the light's bothering you and you can't sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can't recreate the sun. The sun. Uh, I'm not with you. I'm not with you, Bettina. I'm going for the light. Yeah. How about you, David? I th- would think that from a circadian rhythm standpoint, it would be much better to go with the daytime because, yeah, you could, you know, make artificial darkness for yourself. At the same time, I don't know. There's something cool about the the darkening effect that I don't know. Maybe if I, you know, I don't know about three months, maybe for a month or a couple of weeks, it would be an interesting experience to experience. But, uh, yeah, I think. If I had to do it on on the regular, I would go with the daylight. All right. I'm taking over. Loremaster Nancy M wrote in on the Patreon channel for episode three. Hi, everyone. I was interested in your discussion about whether the mine is a red herring. They call it a mine. A mine. This sent me to the internet for a few searches about contaminated water. Here in Canada, boil water advisories are very common on remote slash northern First Nation reserves. I found this on the Government of Canada's website. In 2021, 2% of boil water advisories were due to the detection of Escherichia. Oh, yeah. E. coli. coli. Okay, great. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. 8% were due to other microbiological parameters and the remaining 90% were due to equipment and process-related problems. Most boil water advisories are issued because the equipment and processes used to treat, store, or distribute drinking water break down, require maintenance, or have been affected by environmental conditions. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. And I wonder if the mine has anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2021, this accounted for 90% of boil water advisories. So I think the water and the mine may not necessarily be related. Several decades ago here in Ontario, an entire town got sick and several people died because the people in charge of the water system didn't know what they were doing. That's awful. Yeah. Well, Flint, right? We have that in going on in Flint, Michigan. Same thing. They they screwed with the water system in, in such a way that it caused a bunch of lead to get um, dislodged from the pipes. Mm. Uh, and it was a totally preventable thing. So, yeah. The presence of microorganisms, including bacteria, virus, and parasites, chemicals, and radioactive substances in drinking water, can cause serious complications in pregnant women, such as preterm delivery, miscarriage, and stillbirth. Well, there you have it. That's what we have going on in this show. Yeah. So, again, yeah, taking this really fascinating fictional story and then just drawing a bright line under these real world. Uh, issues that we're dealing with. And I think, again, that's what good fiction can do, right? It can it can really help us focus on what's really happening in the real world. Yeah. So, and uh, Nancy M's oh. been, sorry, sorry. Uh, I, stepped I jumped the gun on my gnarls? Yes. You got it. Now you got two. We're going to get multiple gnarls in tonight. 
Um, Nancy M has been great on the discord in the last couple of days. She's been posting some theories. She posted some photos for a couple of rounds of photos for me for the notebook. So big shout out to Nancy M. Cool. Now, um, Gnarls. Thank, you, thank Gnarls. you. Thank you, Nancy. Always great to hear from you. And I, I heard Nancy is enamored with the wheel of time and I'm, I'm happy to welcome you to Randland, Nancy. Oh, really? That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Gnarls. I, how high can I get? How high can I get? Uh, sent in an email to truedetective at thelorehounds.com. I just want to clarify, in case you skip the Patreon shoutouts at the end, Gnarls has requested that we always read his name as a question With in the, the rising, shout So yeah. that's the what joke do they call that? What do they call that thing? The ri- rising something or something? It's whatever you want it to be. I was thinking about the interview of Finn Bennett where he claims to pay attention to the oranges. Finn Bennett's be- the actor who plays Peter Pryor. Okay. Because of this, more discussion of the incident on the tundra with Navarro and her throwing the oranges warranted. Earlier in the season and this very episode, episode three referring to, this issue of Navarro's Inupiaq name is brought into question. This issue of what it means to be part of indigenous culture in Ennis affects other characters as well, like Leah and Annie Kay. So anyway, back to the oranges. It is well documented that scurvy has been endemic to outsiders living in the Arctic regions due to the short supply of vitamin C dietarily. Indigenous communities avoided scurvy by outcome of their diet, fresh meat and fish, plants and berries. This is the reason why Hank's hillbillies have a bunch of oranges. When Navarro tosses the orange, a symbol of outsiders, into the tundra and the tundra returns the orange to her. I love this take. This is related to her relationship with her own culture. In many ways, Navarro is an outsider with her time in Boston and being a cop, despite also being a member of the community. Does the Tundra slash Sedna slash whoever is awake know that she cannot remember her Inupiaq name? Could a reconnection to her culture be the key to solving the Annie Kay and Salal cases? That's such a cool take. Yeah. Yeah. The, the tundra's I'm so like, impressed with this. Yeah. She, the tundra's like, oh, you want to give me an orange? I don't know. Who are you? <laughs> right? Right. Just like, right. Wh- who, wh- who are you to give me an orange? <laughs> right. So good. You, you're going to need the orange, lady. You're going to get yeah. scurvy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And this is a really cool thing, too, that she's able to weave into this story because of the whole Godfather thing and it's now a thing right other filmmakers and television producers have taken the orange you know if you see an orange somebody's going to die right. concept and put it in in all kinds of things and i put a uh link to a really funny youtube video in the detectives journal about oranges and it's just a super cut of oranges in all kinds of tv and in movies and then how those scenes play out it's uh it's really funny so uh, but that that Lopez is able to play with it both on the level of the Godfather level at the same time as the scurvy and eating vitamins level. Really good. Really nice. Right. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks, Gnarls. I think that's something to really keep it. Sorry. Thanks, Gnarls. <laughs> uh, I think that's something to really keep an eye on as we go forward. I, I'm going to keep an eye on all the oranges now. You've forced me into looking at visual cues. I think that's the end of our oranges, as far as I can tell. So Okay. So well, I think you're Julie, safe now. a yeah. first time emailer, used the contact form 
You said email her, but they used a contact form. What am I supposed to do? Oh, that, first time caller. Uh, you know, first time they're not calling either. What am I going to exactly. do? Exactly. I know. All I don't right, know how Jolie, to deal with this podcasting thing. Jolie, we finally gotten to you. Hey, Lorehounds, not typically one to write into shows, but I couldn't help but laugh at a turn of events in your True Detective episode three podcast this week. I probably won't be alone in pointing this out. You actually are alone in pointing this out. So yes. Good work. Good job. Uh, good job. But you guys actually experienced and perpetuated the comedy based Mandela effect early in the episode about an hour <laughs> before your feedback addressed this exact topic. This is hilarious, guys. This Pay attention. So Thank you, Julie, well, for calling this out. This is so good. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that Sarah Palin said, I can see Russia from my house. This is actually something Tina Fey said while impersonating her on SNL. Boom. <laughs> you got us. You got us. We've been Mandela'd. Wow. Wow. This coincidence was just too amazing when you later mentioned Chris Farley changing Luke, I am your father. I guess that the listener was spot on about comedy's effect on memory. Really enjoying the super in-depth coverage. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for writing in, Julie. This was such a delightful little bit of feedback because now we get to laugh at ourselves. John was uh, chuckling. Yeah, you you were having a laugh on that. Thing. Did you see that email? On the, yeah, on the, yeah, on yeah. I brought it up on it. We were recording another podcast. That's right. That's right. Up, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny. Very funny. Thanks. I hope you write in again, Julie. I know you said you don't usually do that, but uh, this was good feedback. Can I take a moment here really quick to address something about feedback too? I noticed I was listening to um, the Ringer podcast with uh, Joanna Robertson and they were talking about, you know, um, uh, Navarro getting busted down to Trooper. And I got so, uh, you don't get busted down to Trooper. I had such an emotional reaction. I was like, it's a lateral move at best, whatever. And what did I do? I wrote in. I got, uh. Uh, you know, so the the feedback that we get by and large We'll get lots of feedback. Oh, they filmed in in Iceland, not Alaska. You know, that's absolutely a valid thing. But it, it's this thing when we hear something that we want to correct or um, make sure somebody knows the right thing. Whereas if we don't do any of those gaffes, people don't write in as much. And what I, I just really want to encourage people, just write in. We all have thoughts and theories and we want to hear them. Like we we want to be this interactive space. So, so don't just wait to get... Um, uh, uh, triggered by an inaccuracy or something like that. Like write in anytime you've got an idea. I know it takes a little time sometimes, but that's why we've got the voicemail. That's why we've got the contact form. That's why we've got the discord. There's lots of easy ways to do it. It doesn't even have to be properly grammatically correct or anything. Just send in your thoughts. Okay. Rant over. Well, David, I mean, you inspired many to write in for <laughs> your worst take of the year last year, which was Joel is is uh, Joel. Wasn't it Joel doesn't love Ellie? That was really the the thing <laughs> that I think wrote people wrong. <laughs> write in about The Last of Us in the meantime. Should we have uh, we should maybe start doing that is is keeping tracks of uh, of our worst <laughs> takes and then review yeah. them in our Christmas episode. They uh, you, you, there's a podcast that does like a uh, they, they do that. They OK, they compile their worst stakes of the year maybe we should nice. do that we should do that i'm sure i had some bad ones last year but none were as inspired <laughs> joel is a none monster were, were as inspiring to people to write in we had to whole, do a whole separate podcast we did. just for that issue <laughs> i think we did about five hours of feedback because of that it was good we were like should we trim this down no no answer no. it all we re- we answer it all we do it all all right Friend of the pod, Al Shalant, is going to close us out with an email. Wanted to send this straight away, still in the middle of listening to your pod. Your screeners don't usually have subtitles. 
I believe I've heard some podcasters say this before. Yeah, yeah. So just a quick interjection there. It depends. Every studio and streamer platform, whatever, whoever we're getting them, does the screeners differently. Some are not fully VFX processed. Some have screen um, subtitles. Some don't. Sometimes they don't have the actual titles or uh, credits. Like we don't have end credit scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this or anything like that or next on everybody does it differently so there's no one standard for screeners so anyway i think we've only had one show with subtitles ever and it was foundation it was foundation on apple tv yeah yeah apple apple has the best screeners i got and they're like here have a screener (laughs) yeah they're like they're i i apple apple screeners are great these ones are good too though and something i really appreciate about warner brothers screeners is you can fast forward a little bit so you Mm -hmm. can if you're doing a rewatch you can kind of skip around a little easier yeah, their scrubbing is is a lot better. I just need all screeners to have two um, x speeds or, or you know some sort mm-hmm. of variable speed. That's the one thing I really miss. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, Al Shalant wanted to share some context clues from the subtitles that show Danvers was more likely to have shot Wheeler because his whistling was the triggering song "Twist and Shout." This makes me think even more that Danvers is responsible for her family's death. And this may be known to the community by the community uh, and never talked about in front of her because it's just so triggering. Yeah. So that's interesting. It's that's like an interesting she was take. triggered by the whistling. Yeah. Like he was taunting her. It was it was suicide by cop. Yep. Mm. Uh, and I like this idea that, you know, whether Wheeler was specifically involved, well, maybe that's a little thin, but the fact that there is a sensibility about what happened with Jake, but then did Jake and Holden happen in Anchorage? That's what I'm thinking now because. Th- oh yeah, they had to, right? Yeah. What Ted said today. So, so, so Al Shalant wouldn't have known that because they haven't seen episode four yet. So that scene right. wasn't there. So, but still, I like the take. I still, I like the take. I agree. Uh, that it's known. This song is so triggering for Danvers to the point where this Wheeler character baits her cruelly teasing by whistling the melody, bam, murder-suicide. Ooh. But why would this result in Navarro slash Danvers split and transfer? It doesn't seem like they disagree on the cover-up because Navarro has already said there was nothing else we could have done good point. in episode two. Oh, that's good, yeah. Uh, when the subject was first mentioned. Maybe it's because Navarro was now a reminder of Danvers' tragic family accident. Oh, Tying the threads together here. Mm. Additional subtitles when Navarro is on the ice and having spooky stuff happen. But, uh, the subtitles say the chanting voices she hears are also lyrics of Twist and Shout before she has a vision of Holden telling her, tell my mommy, inaudible dialogue. They didn't let us know this even in the subtitles. Hmm. Yeah. So twist and shout all over the place. So what are they doing? What, where is that going to go? This is more than a Markley. This is a uh, substantial piece of it. And I think in that, let me check the notebook here. I think in that Reddit post that uh, details all of the twist and shout uh, clues. Let me go to episode three, twist and shout references. Um, there are at least six, uh, document five 
confirmed documented subtitles uh, scenes where the subtitles say twist and shout. There's one unconfirmed one uh, in the car accident flashback. And then there's a couple of possible visual references that don't contain the song, but that's when uh, Travis is dancing and the, uh, when the twisted corpsicle shouts, <laughs> I just read that one. I hadn't read that before. <laughs> like when he twists the arm off and then it yeah. that's really funny. Yeah. Okay. Fun. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for writing in Al Shalon. Good to Again, hear from you. Again, you can write in true detective at the lorehounds.com, the lorehounds.com slash contact or our discord server or Patreon, whatever you want. Point is, the episode's done, but we need to talk about what we are doing next outside the True Detective universe. Yes. So we'll shift dust. Um, Alicia's been a little bit on the break, but she and I are working on some Oscars related stuff. So uh, and I know she's got some things for Dune coming up and uh, also going to be covering three body problem. Uh, Properly Howard movie reviews on a little bit of a break as well. And. We were, I was hopeful for a severance in this spring, but John is thinking that it's going to be 2025 at best. So when no, seven, I, season- I, I think I could see fall. I okay. could see fall. All right. When seven season two comes back, we will be doing a crossover pod with Stephen Anthony to cover that week to week. In terms of February, we're going to be finishing up True Detective. John, you and uh, Brandon have got some Lorehounds play plans. You guys are going to be doing some stuff with Final Fantasy? We're definitely doing Final Fantasy VII Remake. We are going to be covering that ahead of Rebirth, which comes out at the end of February. One thing we're debating, and maybe people could write in if they feel either way on it, is do we do anything for the Halo series? Because we just got screeners for that. No, you definitely, you guys uh, are definitely doing Halo series. Oh, okay. I guess we're doing Halo. Um, (laughs) Yes. I mean, I do. I had mixed feelings on season one. I didn't finish it, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to finish it. They have a new showrunner. I I know that the the lead who plays Master Chief has been out there trying to convince everyone to watch it. So I'm going to give it a shot. We'll see. You'll, You'll be with us and you'll hear our thoughts either way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a new hope is going to be our next uh, film for the star Wars film festival. We should have rogue one out uh, shortly. And then we've got this cool interview lined up with a Lieutenant Colonel in the army. And, uh, he's going to join us to talk about all things military in the star Wars universe using rogue one as an entry point. So that'll be a separate interview that will release later in February. Earthsea, we're going to be reading dragonfly and then that we're going to use that as a bridge into the other wind. Silmarillion stories of men, of men, of men. Speaking of men, we did a first part podcast on masters of the air. Brandon and I did that. We covered episodes one and two, and then we're going to do a season recap. Once the season is completely over, we've got a channel set up on the discord. There's a lot of people talking about that because it's bringing up a lot of interesting questions and um, discussion around um, World War II and the and the air war and bombing campaigns and things like that. So um, it's a it's an okay show. It's not great. It's not terrible. Um, but we're definitely going to uh, put a, a bow on it at the end of the season. John, have you done? Have you watched any of Mr. and Mrs. Smith yet? No, I haven't. I think you're going to really. I, I hope you're going to like the show because it is hilarious. 
Uh, I don't know. I'm not supposed to say much else more because we're still under embargo, but that is coming up very shortly. And I think it's tomorrow. I think it opens, it airs tomorrow by the time. So this will be fine. The embargo should be lifted by the time this podcast comes out. (laughs) But I'm up to episode four of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and it is a hoot, an absolute hoot. So Mm -hmm. that's cool. I, I'm, I, I like the actors involved with it. It's yeah, it's, it's really good. So I, I hope you can check it out and we can at least, maybe we'll do a one shot cause it's a binge on. Amazon, yeah. I, so. we, we can't do episodic coverage. You're, you're, you know, we were like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to take it easy this year. We're not going to, we're not going to overload ourselves. <laughs> and you're like, maybe we should do a scene by scene of Mr. And Mrs. Smith and Halo. No, <laughs> these are one shots. These are one shots. Yeah. 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 For sure. I think Halo will be a two shot ish. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. You want to shout out our uh, lore masters before we get out of here? Before it's two and a half hours, we're at at two twenty one. Yeah, an hour and a half. John, don't <laughs> worry. It's an hour and a half. Uh, sure, I would love to. I'm I'm stalling because I didn't have the list pulled up. Samarshan, Mark H, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, S C, Peter O H, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Duve seventy one. Brian8063, who's a Dunadan, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Deadeye Jedi, Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub-Zero, Aaron K, a Dunadan, Dally V21, Gnarls, and the last shelby first is that what you're you're trying to say here david <laughs> yes, adrian <that's... laughs> adrian i see you have you have many many titles for I, I, adrian I was trying to mix it now. up i was trying to spice it up a little bit yes all right uh, if you're wondering why i just listed off names because i did a bad job introducing it these are our our patreon lore masters they're our top tier patrons they support us every month and keep us able to cover shows like true detective and dedicate two and a half hours to each episode when david lies to me about the length of the episode <laughs> so if you want to get it on patreon you can get early and ad free access to our podcast you can get the detective's notebook you can get a lot of fun features and exclusive podcasts like second breakfast and shire side chats of which there will there will be one three days from when this episode airs so Excellent. it is scheduled on patreon it's coming so Uh, Yeah, head on the Patreon if you want that. If not, we'll see you for the next episode of True Detective. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told. 
following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>